does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. What a beautiful Thursday morning here in Indianapolis, and it sounds like that's going to be the way for the next couple of days. So not only great here for the mini coming up on Saturday, but it looks like pretty good weather down in Louisville for the Oaks tomorrow and then the Derby on Saturday. Yeah, 72 tomorrow in Louisville. You know, I typically look at the Derby names, and then I just pick the winner based on the names. Just it's just it's all just a gut instinct. Yeah, practical move was the name that I liked. That's when a I good one. At the, That's a good uh, name. List earlier this week sounds like Forte. Yeah, I brought up earlier yeah. Joseph Forte, one of my favorite. Wasn't there a Matt Forte? Up. Uh, there was a Matt Forte. Yeah. Probably a big fan of Mark Dyke. Yeah, Mark Dyke helped, win the, helped win the first game at Lucas Oil Stadium, right? Yeah, I forgot. Tulane guy. Yeah. yeah, he ran all over the Colts on that. Season opener in 2008. Uh, so good Thursday morning to you. Uh, Kevin Aquary here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. I'm Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. We'll have Scott Agnes joining us at 8.30. Haven't talked Pacers really um, in a bit, so uh, we'll catch up on that as they are less than two weeks away from finding out exactly where that pick is going to be in the top 10, which will certainly shape what much of this offseason is about. We haven't done a tankathon in a while. We have not, no. Uh, Zach Kiefer... Nine o'clock, and then we will get into. Is it Jones Angle? Is that right, Mark? Angle or Angel? Yeah, I, I have to clarify. Uh, joining us now, at, is that not to be confused with Kobe something that's tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Caleb something. Caleb sir. something. Sorry. Joining us at nine forty-five uh, to talk Josh Downs, the play-by-play voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels, uh, and potentially, potentially, we could have one of the Colts rookies join us tomorrow. The show, the show titles have been updated, by the way. Thank you for that. Uh, speaking of tanking, I guess that at times last night in the second half, it looked like the 76ers were, were, were back to their trust I mean, process days. You know, there are games, though, in the playoffs. One of the things that I love the most about covering an NBA playoff series when I would cover the Pacers was how within a series, each game, the storyline would change a little bit. It was about trying to find the storyline from one game to the next of what was impacting the series. And there was always at least one game where it it just was over immediately. And you and just the roof caved in, and you're like, okay, I, we're, we're good here. And that was certainly last night for Boston. Now, you know, for Philly, you did what you were supposed to do. You went and you got one of them on the road. You took back home court advantage. But now you got to hold serve. And that's not an easy thing to do. I, I'm i telling you, I think Boston is – I just think that that combo, those two guys between – you know, Malcolm Brogdon's been a good player for them. But when you've got Brown and Tatum – I know. When you got Brown and Tatum and then Smart – I mean, they're really good, man. Imagine saying to Joe Mazzullo before the game, hey, Joe, um, Jason Tatum is going to make one shot in the whole entire game and you're going to win by 34. I mean, one field goal made for Jason Tatum, and literally no one of importance played the final twenty minutes of the of course, game. He would probably counter with, "Well, how many is Embiid going to have?" Yeah, Embiid played and played over twenty minutes. Um, fifteen, yeah, 15 and three yeah. is that what it was? Yeah. You know, there are some moments where I was kind of like, "Should he be out there?" I mean, there are definitely moments where I was like, "Okay, he he 
he looks okay. Um, but I kind of felt like, and I don't know, maybe this is too much of a not trying to steal the series in a huge way. I kind of just felt like going into last night, the Sixers should have been so content with winning game one. Just sit and bead, get him another couple nights of rest, and then back at home for game three. Um, you know, it's not like it was overly taxing for him last night from a minute standpoint, considering the uh, nature of the blowout. But uh, Celtics get that win. So both both Eastern Conference series uh, have been road team wins game one, home team wins game two. Are we going to see that tonight out west? Will the Warriors even this one up at 1-1? Let's do a sim lottery, shall we? Oh. Can we start our Thursday with that, Mark? What tank, do you think? Tank it up. Sure. The Let's NBA get up. Well, don't sound so excited. Yeah, Mark, boy. A lot of energy there. I can barely breathe. I've got some sort of sinus thing going on. Is that lack of sleep or allergies? Really good news for me heading into the month Probably of Probably a little of both, I'd guess. Okay, here we go. You an allergy medicine guy? I've never taken allergy medicine before. Like, but Not even like a little Zyrtec or Claritin? No, or but hmm. I might be experimenting for the first time. Coffee and mayo cleans you right out. No, no, not going to happen. Here we go. Interesting. With the seventh pick in the 2023 NBA mock draft, the Indiana Pacers select, I hope I say this name right, Jerace Walker from the University of Houston. That would not move the needle at all, would it? I actually kind of like him. Um, him and the one of those Thompson brothers, uh, pretty good defensive players. Again, I, th- to me, that's got to be the, the focus here. Um Intrigued a little bit, too, with Taylor Hendricks from Central Florida. I think those are kind of the names in that seven range for Indiana. Uh, that's pretty much most likely where they're going to be coming up. What is it? A week from Tuesday, I believe, is when the lottery will happen. Uh, what do you think? Halliburton's got to be the guy there, right, to represent the franchise? I would think, yeah. Every time I do this, by the way, like literally, they're like seven, eight, nine, ten. Every single time. You're just pressing that button, hoping for one or two. And yeah, here we go. We'll do. Oh, wait a minute. With the second pick. That's a nice touch, Mark. <laughs> the Indiana Pacers select Brandon Miller. So that's, but. Was that the 13th click? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then they have Marcus Sasser at 26, Noah Clowney at 29. Those are the names that we keep hey. hearing, you know, that keep getting thrown about. Each of the last, I think it's five lotteries, the team slotted seventh heading into the lottery night have moved up to the top four. So you can look at that glass half full and say, hey, it's going to happen again. Or glass half empty says um, the seventh team is due to stick there. Speaking of the lottery, I thought this was interesting. Uh, I think it's the Lafayette Courier Journal had this news yesterday. Did you see um, Purdue's going to have an interesting non-conference game in basketball next year? I did not see that Purdue's going to have an interesting non-conference game in basketball next year. Purdue and Alabama are going to play next year in Toronto. That makes perfect sense because of I'm looking at it right here. Um Alabama's center is also Canadian, right? And then Zach Eady. But both are in the NBA draft currently. Good point. So is that a good sign for Purdue? Uh, yeah, I don't I, I don't even I've never even heard of the Alabama center. Um but is that a good sign for the Boilers that this game is happening. 
Is that something that it's probably been in the works for a couple of months and you just go through with it even if Zach Eady stays in the draft? I don't know. Truthfully, Kevin, I would think of it as this. I think it's good news. I would. It, it is good news. I would think of it for Nate Oates and Matt Painter. I'm not saying that they went this Freudian on it, but two programs that say, you know what, we've had good success with guys from Toronto this year, and as a result of that, we're more on the map in Toronto than a lot of programs. So let's go play a game there, just to continue to grow our footprint there and give ourselves a head start on, look at the Indiana Pacers. Benedict Matherin, O'Shea Brissett. Uh, who's the third one? Nemhard. Andrew Nemhard. All Canadian, right? So why not continue to grow your name within that market and give yourself a head start on getting other players? I mean, it could be as simple as that, right? Yeah, you know, I don't know how prevalent it is nowadays, but I always kind of enjoyed when coaches would get recruits from a specific area of the country and in particular, if that player was from a unique part or whatever, just not in your own backyard, you kind of went out of your way to say, hey, at some point in your four-year career here, we will play a road game close to home for you. I always thought that was kind of a cool gesture and rewarded guys for staying as well. I think that's a little bit of that here. Um, so yeah, Purdue and Alabama, I mean, first off, I think that's just a fun matchup. And then Toronto for that. I am curious, like... Again, the lottery comes a week from Tuesday. I think the NBA Combine shortly after that. The end of the month is how long Zach Eady has to stay in the draft. I am curious, like, what does he need to hear to stay in the draft? Like, if he gets a first-round guarantee, is he gone? I would think, wouldn't you? Guaranteed money? I mean, I don't know what his NIL deal is at Purdue, though, but it's probably at this point, could it be a million? I was going to say, people act like it, it is very, very healthy. Now, I know there's kind of an international issue with visas and whatever. It seems like Purdue has been able to get around that, and Zach Eady's helped them get around that with how great of a player he's been. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess I just – how does Eady view it? Does he view it as, if I get a first-round guarantee, I go? Or does he view it as, no, I'm simply just trying to gather information – and Here's, learn how the process is, which I think is a great thing for all borderline NBA prospects to try and do before they officially, officially go into the draft. From an NBA standpoint, let's just say for the sake of argument that Zach Eady's NIL money next year is $1 million at Purdue, okay? Then you look at it and you say, okay, if you go in the first round, you're going to make $1 million, but you are signing a contract that guarantees you that for like a three-year minimum. You go back to Purdue, you're getting NIL money for one year. What happens if he does have a debilitating injury? Yeah. I think injury would be the biggest question. Now, don't guys kind of get like insurance? I would think, yes. I mean, most do, yeah. that. And I remember, gosh, who was the first player that I heard about with that? It might have been the Fab Five. And it was like, what? They have insurance on their legs? That's crazy. And now it's probably, you know, the third string shooting guard for Creighton probably has an insurance policy. I mean, I would imagine every player does, but every big player, certainly. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot to weigh out for sure. I think the other thing that comes into play, frankly, is, and I know this myself, I mean, I'm living proof of it. 
one of the challenges of being a young person is sometimes you get antsy and you're ready to make a decision and nothing's going to change your mind and you're ready to, you're just over it. You know, I mean, when I was that age and I was in school, I, I, I was, I was ready to get out. I was just over it. I felt like I was just, and, and I wasn't correct. Don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating for it, but I felt like I was on a treadmill. You know what I mean? I do think it would get old pretty quick. Every single person on that campus asking you for a picture. Yes. Or asking you, oh my gosh, you're so much taller than I thought well, you were. I, oh, I mean, my dad will love if, if you take a picture. And I again, got used to it, to be honest with you. But, <laughs> but no, you are correct. I mean, or not only that, Kevin, but not only being on campus and having everybody want to take your picture, but also knowing that you have to, can you imagine college if you have to be mindful and careful of your image every time you leave the house. Right. And this is not like, I'm trying to think of an example. I, I guess let's throw out Jay Nivey. Not that Jay Nivey flirted hard at the NBA after his freshman season, but if Jay Nivey would have come back to Purdue as he did, you know, early in his, in his college career, the thought was you come back, you take your game to another level. And boom, you're going to become a lottery pick. And he was, what, a top five pick. Whereas if you're Zach Eady and you come back to school, it's not like you're increasing your draft value really at all. At least I think that is the thought. Zach Eady right now is, what, the 50th pick in the draft? Maybe he becomes the 30th pick. Financially, that's not what Jaden Ivey improved on. Jaden Ivey went from, whatever, a French first rounder to the fifth overall pick. Right. So that incentive isn't as much there. Is, I, I do think Edie, Edie strikes me as an individual that is extremely pissed off by how the season ended. And that, along with being Purdue's you know, all-time leading scorer, all-time leading rebounder, uh, would be a pretty uh, pretty great accomplishment. I think we have our answer right here. We have listeners that are far more intelligent, at least I would say than me. I, I can't oh. speak for you, Kevin. <laughs> oh, certainly. Um, hey, guys, Edie can't be paid under NIL unless he is on Canadian soil based on work visa regulations. This game would allow that to happen. Wow. So it just takes one game and then you get all the money? Well, I, you you get, hey, we're going to pay you $1.1 million. You know what I mean? I've heard such conflicting things on the Edie NIL International. Like People are like, oh, yeah, he made a million last year. And then others are like, no, he can't make money because of the international visa. And like you, you have to reach a level of status to where it's like, oh, wow, you're doing a lot of good for yourself and the promotion of your home country. Therefore, you do get that money. Doesn't it feel like they could put it on an, literally an international visa and then like five years from now, it's just kind of there? I mean, hell, Swiss it, bank account. Give it to <laughs> Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Edie. I was at a you know game I mean? yeah. earlier this year. It was crazy how much people just hounded Mrs. Edie on the concourse. Really? Oh, yeah. She was a star. Absolute star. Uh, again, good Thursday morning to you. It's a very nice start to this day here in Indianapolis. Looks to be a glorious weekend. Do you think we're finally through? I hope. Like a high of 52 I hope. I mean, day? just the, the weather change alone probably is why my sinuses are locked up, right? Yeah, you need you need to try a little over the counter action. It might help you on Saturday. Was well, that performance enhancing? Well, I don't. Do you have to piss in a cup 
for <laughs> he's almighty Ev. <laughs> clean it up at 715 okay. my god you've seen if jake needed a whizinator or anything here, to get here him come the, the texts oh, clean it up family program kids in the car and if we turn on whatever some local uh local station on saturday morning jake's in the lead pack all of a sudden we're gonna need to be I'm like, jean, I'm like jean paul jean paul right right there i am up front who was the lady who cut through the boston marathon uh rosie what was her name ruez or yeah i mean that is the best didn't we right? just have a debate the other day of who's the most professional and kevin just goes <laughs> blue on us it's called descriptive well i mean mark you're over there you're asleep at the wheel and, and this is you're over there eating cereal i don't you're have not cereal the, i've had cereal in months you're not hitting the mute button what's going on here i don't know everything you know a die a die a die that was a great chant no, I had several is... people reach out and say, oh, yeah, that was sung. Through where the where was this done? Oh, inside of Lucas Oil. Every time Joseph and I made a big play. Both times? Well, come on now. Co-MVP of the Super Bowl, right? Him and Dominic Rhodes. That's how it should have been. Shouldn't have gone to Peyton. I mean, Dominic yeah. Rhodes was the MVP. Didn't the die? Everyone knows that, right? Did I have 10 catches in the game? Did he really? I think Mike Chappell always says that the Dominic Rhodes production came late, and I don't know, you had to have your MVP vote in by like the end of the third quarter or something. I'm pretty sure Adai had 10 catches in that game. I'm looking it up now. I mean, that that may be the case. Up at West 56 yesterday, we can get into some of the um, some of the comments. Uh, Quentin Nelson, Kenny Moore in particular, meeting the media. Again, today, rookies will get to town start rookie minicamp tomorrow. Um, so that will be Anthony Richardson's first time on the field. Looking at the spring for Richardson in terms Ten of... Ten receptions for 66 yards. Dominic Rhodes, 21 carries, 113 yards and a touchdown. I think you split it right there. Your MVP, Peyton Manning, 25 of 38 for 247, a touchdown and a pick. Yeah. Your other yeah. MVP, Rex Grossman, 20 of 28 for 165 <laughs> yeah. yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Hell, should Kelvin Hayden have been the MVP? I, I thought about he, he put it away, that's for sure. Uh, so, rookie minicamp coming up this weekend. And again, after this weekend, then rookies and veterans mesh together. 13 on field practices in the spring for Anthony Richardson. Um, you know, I know Benedict Mather and Jake, when he got drafted by the Pacers, I think his sister lives with them. Anthony Richardson's like, I'm bringing, I'm bringing a lot of people. I'm bringing, you know, mom and, and little brother, and it sounds like maybe even his manager or his agent are coming to live with him up here as well. Uh, his brother is, I think he's 13 or 14. Boy, you got to think there might be some high schools here in Indianapolis that might want to see his brother show you up on think? their doorstep. You think? <laughs> you know? What what is, what is, school? Is Zionsville going to get the Vinatieri Eugene Hilton trio? I was going to say, he's probably going to live in the northwest side, so Zionsville... Pike, maybe uh, North Central. Brownsburg's turned into quite the program. Brownsburg could be up there. Yeah, Avon. Any number of those. All hail hail our Panthers. Get get North Central back on track as a football program. I'm telling you, they uh, they could use a little work at North Central. By the way, did you watch last night, Kevin? I believe I can't remember if you said. I get very confused by this. Um, Last night was the finale for A Million Little Things. Oh, really? Did you say you have or have not watched that show? Uh, a little bit. Usually Maddie is the watcher. And I it's just kind of This along. Is Us light. And somebody just asked what I thought of it. I didn't think really there were that many people watching that show. Mark, you did not watch it, right? Never seen an episode. I thought the finale was um, 
I don't want to give it away because I know people don't, you know, they watch on demand now. I thought it was very well done. It was a little bit, I was surprised. There was a little bit of a controversy, like what could be seen as a controversial storyline. Um, but I thought it was very well done and uh, pretty emotional, actually. And it was a good show. I thought it rounded itself out and it was a, a nice conclusion last night. I will say that. A nice conclusion last night. Yeah, usually Wednesday nights we dial up Ted Lasso, but Maddie was out to dinner. Her she manages a team and her her team was in town, so She man yeah. like Ted Lasso, she manages a team? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I okay. guess I guess. Well, you is her team from out of town? Uh pretty much, yeah. I think there's like six or seven of them and I I think all of them are pretty much out of town. Did they go out like for dinner or did they go out for yeah, a night on the town? They went to uh Festiva. Now, uh-huh. Is that the one at... Uh, I think it's 16th and... Uh, Delaware? A little that's bit not f- the, further over than Delaware, right? What's the one that's on... De- there's a really good Mexican restaurant at like 22nd in Delaware. Oh, right yeah. Right next to Mass Yeah, I've been there. That's a good uh, place, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went there just a, just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. It's a good spot. So you were just babysitting last night? <laughs> babysitting, yeah. Parenting probably well, I, would be the yeah, would be the better way you, to say. You know it. what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, yeah, but no, kids kids behave shockingly well, shockingly well. Rosie okay. is potty training. I won't get into details on that. Uh, but okay. is it loco? Is that what you're thinking? Yes, of? loco, right there. And that matchcraft was great. Yeah, it's a good matchcraft. Is good. That is great. I used to live right there. Is babysitting a derogatory term? Did I offend you with that? Well, I just think. I, I guess that means outside source. I yeah, get it. I didn't get my eight dollars an hour. <laughs> For that, is that what it pays now? No one, no, no one Venmoed me for that. Hell, eight dollars an hour. You guys can hire me. I'll come. I'll come hang out. Kev, up the up the rate a little bit. No, yeah, I think we are paying a little bit higher, especially for both of those little munchkins on that on that end. Uh, so we will get in some Colts conversation today. I I did find it interesting. There was a moment yesterday in Quentin Nelson's press conference where Quentin Nelson cracked a smile, and that doesn't happen very often. And I feel like we talk so much about it as covers of the Colts or fans of the Colts, but internally, the players probably feel it even more, just how this quarterback carousel has worn them the hell out. Yeah, that's a good way to say I mean, here, here's the thing. They probably don't know any better than the rest of us what Anthony Richardson's going to be like, but isn't it nice to just know you have a long-term answer? And by long-term answer, Kevin, I don't mean you know the answer to that, but you don't have the answer to how it's going to be long-term, but you have the answer to this is now somebody that we know is going to be here starting at quarterback for like more than one season. Zach Kiefer's going to join us at 9. He asked Quentin the the question, and as soon as Zach started to ask it, Quentin knew where he was going, and he cracked a smile. And I'm sitting there thinking, Quentin Nelson's going into what, his sixth year in the NFL? 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Seventh year in the NFL? Six. Um, I've never seen him crack smiles like that, and it was almost one of those, no bleep. How do you think it's been for us? Right. And at the same time, you can, you need to say, guys like Quentin Nelson need to play better as well. Like, both of these things can be true. You know, Quentin Nelson and Kenny Moore, two guys up there yesterday in Kenny's case definitely needs to play a lot better but they also have not been put into a situation to where you can build anything of substance considering how the quarterback carousel has gone so we'll get into that on today's show as well and Kenny Moore Jake graduating this weekend that's right now 
what what was his major? Do we know? Probably more. It like- was. Uh, he's got two minors and a major. The major was. I think it was organizational leadership. And the minors were political science and I think it was public admin, public administration. Basically, he said he went to school. He went back to Valdosta State after his first and second years in the NFL. Took a break, I think his third and fourth years, then has gone back since. Had two classes to finish up this spring. Um and it was a pretty cool moment when he said the thing that he's most looking forward to this weekend is the look on his mom's face when he um, when he graduates from Valdosta State. That is very cool. Congratulations to him for certain. Um, Maybe a co-graduation party? Yeah. I, I, I got back my final assignment grade yesterday. The last thing that I had to do was and I think this is required now I can applaud that I think it's I do think it's very important but it was a, basically a career planning class yeah seems beneficial yeah and the last assignment was a paper asking how is your degree going to help start your career and I sat down and sat there and stared at the computer for a while when I wrote it and then said you know what it won't because I took a different route. I'm not saying that that route was correct. But the one thing that you never lose, and maybe for, in my case, later than others, it takes a while for the epiphany to realize it. But the one thing that you never lose is the desire to round yourself out and broaden your intellectual capabilities. And so... My degree may not launch my career, but it will help in launching a completion of what I would like to be as a person. And I wrote about that and then got the grade back and it said, uh, this is very, poor, very poorly written and you did not answer the question. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, I did my best. I gave it the old college try in my last ever assignment. It's a strong maturation by you with your reaction there. Will you go I mean, double birds at that professor I, when you walk I mean, across the stage? Well, and then I looked the- it up. You know what? In the spirit of the assignment, that that answer was by the instructor is probably correct. Now, I don't know about the poorly written part. I would disagree with that, hopefully. But um, and and actually, in the critique, it did say there are a lot. Of, I. I it actually said there are a lot of areas where if you want to use words for your career that you could clean up. Okay. Um, Interesting. Did you send her or him your LinkedIn or your Twitter profile or did you <laughs> drop a, do you know who I am? No, because I always subscribe to, if you have to tell someone who you are, you are not. Uh, but I actually went through in all of my classes and I went by my official Tell that to the NFL Combine security. Birth name. <laughs> That's true. You have to let me in. I, hey, I, when security didn't know who I was, what I do? I went home and got my credential, right? Forgot to tell you, Mark, there was a moment I walked out there and Jake was doing the Jeff Van Gundy grabbing on the legs of one of those security guards. <laughs> Text me, to, should I bull rush in and just run in? Trying to get in I'm there. important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But where it said you're not a good writer... I was a little offended, but other than that, I was like, all right, it's I, cool. I've read some of your written work, but very well done on our website. Oh. Well, thank you. Well, um, you'll get the last laugh on Wednesday. 
mm-hmm. with that one. Uh, I wanted an A in the class. It dropped me from a 97 oh, to an cares? 85. I had one kid that literally didn't even turn in the final assignment. He's already got a job. I emailed him. I was like, hey, are you going to turn this in? He's like, oh, totally blanked on that, man. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Well, at, at this point, what matters if he gets a D in the class? So you get one less rental at Blockbuster video. Big deal. One less <laughs> A. Who cares? Honestly, in Kokomo, that might be the only place where it's still. Like down here at the bottom, room. quality of writing. 15 out of 30. <laughs> okay. I and mean, when you first told me the grade, I'm like, did you turn it in it, on time? Yes. Just wrote his name and left it blank. Yeah. It wasn't exactly. long enough, also, it said. This was supposed oh, to be nine to ten count. pages, and I'm like, uh, okay. I had to get the big and then spaces it said, in between sentences. Now, this will stun our listening audience. This will stun our listening audience. <laughs> it says, uh, you were not thorough at all in what you wrote about. Uh, you didn't try to cover anything. You didn't go into in, in depth on any points. It felt like you were using a lot of words to say very little. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, you gave me an eight to ten page assignment. Right, right. I always hated that you must write this many pages. Like, if I get to the point, I get to the point. You should just send the opening segment of this show and be like, yeah, this is pretty much what I was going for here. This was a formal paper, and you wrote it with way too many contractions. Okay. It's a beautiful Thursday here in Indy. Much better looking Not Thursday Jake. than Jake's <laughs> term paper, clearly. Uh, Scott Agnes at 8.30, Zach Kiefer at 9 o'clock. We'll get more to Josh Downs, the third-round pick out of North Carolina, coming up to close out the show. We did see an interesting free agency move yesterday around the NFL that has some Colts implications on that front. And are we to the point now where... This O-line is just going to be running it back with the same group that ended last year. We'll talk about all of that today. Uh, Good Thursday morning to you. You're listening right here on 93.5, 107.5. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. All right, through two games, both uh, series in the East tied at one. The Celtics absolutely throttled the 76ers last night, a 34-point win. Joel Embiid did return to the lineup uh, he played 25 minutes, uh, 15 points, three rebounds. The Sixers starters are absolutely terrible. Uh, yeah, and the Celtics got a must, must-have win at home. So that series now shifts to Philly. The Heat and the Knicks series shifts to Miami. And tonight, Jake, it'll be Lakers and Warriors with Golden State trying to do what Boston did last night as the home team trying to even it up at one. Nine o'clock tip as the Warriors, as you mentioned, tried to even it up. And again, if you're the Lakers, you got to look at it uh, with Philadelphia and say, you know what? So far, we've done what we're supposed to do. That is take back home court advantage. But it would be awfully nice for the Lake Show to try to get the sweep heading back to L.A. We shall see. Last night, Major League Baseball. Padres over the Reds, 7-1. to It was the Nationals over the Cubs, 2-1. I did that quickly so that Mark couldn't play the sounder. Uh, Cardinals on the short end against the L.A. Angels, 6-4. Mark your Diamondbacks, 12-7 winners yep. over the Rangers. That's good news in the PBR chase because the Royals blanked cute fella 6-0. Uh, White Sox, man, break them up. Three-game win streak. Beat the Twins 6-4. Don't think we've said of all the local teams, the White Sox were like the only one to win yesterday. Yeah, yeah you're right. Many That's times. Rare error. Uh, Indianapolis Indians, by the way, splitting a doubleheader with the Toledo Mud Hens. They were on the short end 4-3 in game one, 9-2 in game number two. Uh, tonight, the Colts rookies, or I guess all day really, Colts rookies arriving to Indianapolis. A, a minicamp for them starts uh, coming up tomorrow. 
And so uh, we'll be out there West 56th Street watching Anthony Richardson in his first NFL practice. Uh, and, of course, this weekend, Kentucky Derby coming up on Saturday. Mark, what you say, 9 o'clock tomorrow? We're going to have some nine fifteen Derby guru on. Caleb Keller. Caleb Keller. Put some respect on that man. First and last name on that one. Forte is the favorite. Three to one odds in the Derby this year. Obviously, last year you had the huge upset with Rich Strike on that end. Uh, when we come back here, we'll get more into the Colts conversation. Again, some interesting comments yesterday. Quentin Nelson and Kenny Moore and a free agency move from a former Colt that could impact how things will be for a particular position group this season in Indianapolis. We'll talk about that on the other side. It's a really nice start to this Thursday morning here in Indianapolis. Kevin and Corey on 93.5-1075. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. That's the fan. 18 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock, it is already a gorgeous start to this. Today's Thursday, right? Indeed. I sure hope so. I'm looking over, by the way, the odds for the Kentucky Derby. I, I think that we, as a program need to collectively put our rooting efforts together for Hit Show, right? Oh, I like that name. That would be... Now, I I personally feel a connection to Confidence Game. No shock there. (laughs) Practical Move is a great name. You've got that one, right? That's where I'm going. Raise Kane is kind of cool. I also like that Angel of Empire name. Yeah, Angel of Empire, Who I that's who's going to win it. Raise Kane, I like Raising Canes. That's kind of the same, right? No, people are saying Forte. Now, Undefeated never go, six races. Okay, great. Angel of Empire wins that. I kind of forgot how big of an upset last year's was. Do you guys remember that rich strike? Yeah. And, like, came out of nowhere. Like, I don't even know if the announcer mentioned Rich Strike more than once the entire race. Which was the one, just, was it last year or two years ago, where the winner was disqualified? Was that Medina Spirit a yeah, couple years was, ago? Yeah, Medina I feel Spirit, like we've yeah. had controversy quite a few years right. here as of late. Obviously, you had the Bob Baffert thing. Um, I, I kind of miss Baffert. I feel like that's like the NFL without Belichick. That's... a. That's a fair way of saying it, yeah. Rocket Can, I like that name. That's a good name. King Russell's a good name. Now, for those that are just fed up with the Kansas City Chiefs, they are not going to be liking the Riders Up person this year. No, what's that? For those that feel like uh, we see too much Kansas City Chiefs, I guess in two ways you won't be liking this. One, the Riders Up this year will be announced by Patrick Mahomes. And then did you guys see, and Jake, I don't know if you really care about it. Um, Mark, I think you, you, you've watched it before. The match, the golf match. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you see who's in it this year? Let yeah. me guess. Yeah. So it's always two guys and then two golfers, right? Uh, no golfers. They've kind of deviated away from the golfers. Okay. Basically, they're so not how many people? How many people total are we There's talking? four. Four professional athletes. Amongst how many different sports? Two. Two two teams of two players. They're, they're teammates on... But I'm saying they they represent how many different total sports? Two. Okay. Uh, I will go with Patrick Mahomes since you said it. Is Mahomes one of them? Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I will say Mahomes and 
Kelsey, and then Steph Curry and uh, I, I have no idea. It wouldn't be Giannis. He probably is not a golfer. Probably not even basketball players, but um, Jalen Brunson. I don't know. Yeah, Steph Curry was in it. Was it a couple years ago? Curry I think that's was right. in it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Mahomes and Kelsey and Curry and Clay Thompson. Okay, so you get a little teammate feel. Last year, you had the old quarterbacks. You had Brady and Rodgers with the young quarterbacks, Mahomes and Josh Allen. Um, they should 29. use. Have they done that with hockey players? Uh uh-uh. uh Hockey players are amazing golfers. Really? Yeah, because it's a honestly. My my brothers played golf with Brett Hull and said he was quite the character. Um, I did a, a golf outing once. I, I didn't participate, but when I was in St. Louis, I covered a golf outing of the Blues. Chris Pronger, for example, uh, an amazing golfer because I don't know about like their short game, but obviously, like off the tee, they're great. Oh, because well, it's Happy a, Gilmore, duh. Yeah, it's the similar movement. It's the exact same movement. So they're they're really good, and they also, you know, hockey play. Hockey players and NFL players both have a huge advantage in being good golfers because that's the summertime is their off season, so they got a lot of time to do nothing but play golf. I don't think the PGA would do it, but that would be the match would be a great time to do PGA versus live golf. I think there are some thoughts of do you kind of change the Ryder Cup a bit and do that PGA versus live. Uh, obviously, you'd have combinations of countries, mm-hmm. but with that, I, I don't know if we'll ever get there on that end. That seems like a lot of egos that need to be put to the side for that to happen. Um, but yeah, that'll be the match coming up in late June. Um, yesterday, we saw, and I guess you got to go back before the draft. Chris Bauer mentioned before the draft that offensive line and cornerback were two areas the Colts still needed to add to. Obviously, corner they did big time in the draft. They they, they took three of them. Um, two of them out of the SEC, you know, certainly a position that they're trying to turn the page on. One of the free agent corners that I know some Colts fans were curious about uh, was Rocky Yassine. Rocky Yassine, of course, traded to the Raiders by the Colts what last March, uh, played out his contract with the Raiders, and now is a free agent. Uh, but he will not be returning to Indy. He signed with the Ravens yesterday on a one-year deal. Jake, it almost seems like, and again, Chris Ballard has made May signings before. Hell, he's made June signings. You know, Ballard does try and kind of find answers at all parts of the offseason. But I am interested, with those two position groups, will he have a bit of a feel of a, hey, we traded Stephon Gilmore for for a fifth rounder. We're going to play Anthony Richardson a whole lot this year. We're going to treat other positions like that. We're going to play the youth. We're not going to go right? out there and get this stopgap veteran for one year. He might improve us in the short term, but does he stunt the growth of some of your young rookies? Again, it would be a very uh, foreign feeling for the Colts. It'd be a little bit more of a long-term view, certainly. It wouldn't be the win now, all chips in, insert all those mantras here approach. But with this remaining cap space, they have over $20 million. They could go out and make some moves. It almost seems like, right now, that they're opting for the, nope, we'll use that cap space on potentially a Jonathan Taylor or Michael Pittman contract extension, but we're going to play the young guys. It's so funny because... <clears throat> You almost forget, <clears throat> excuse me, the the all chips in period quote. You almost forget about it, and that was a year ago, right? 
Wasn't that one year ago? Oh, yeah. Fire up the engine. I, I mean, the timeline has been totally ripped up and thrown apart, right? This is – you could say this is just a retool. It's not, Kevin. This is a total rebuild, right? When you, you have replaced the engine. They've done an engine switch. I mean, it's the month of May, so I'll use an Indy 500 analogy. The the engines, you know, you get you have to turn so many miles on them before you can do an engine switch. And the Colts finally decided, okay, it, we are putting in a brand new engine altogether. Well, at that point, does it matter that you have... <laughs> keep talking, keep talking. Go ahead. All chips We're in. Say. All chips in. It actually sounds period. much smoother, Mark, than it typically does in those videos. Not as loud, yeah. One yeah, that thing was not, that wasn't that sounded like they just started up the propeller, right? One thing that I feel like you have to keep in mind now moving forward, and and we we've seen it at cornerback. You know, Julius Brents out of Warren Central. I mean, that dude just screams old Seattle Seahawks corner with his size. Obviously, Gus Bradley was the defensive coordinator in Seattle during those years. You know, guys like Isaiah Rogers. I think a bit unfairly, they're just viewed in a negative light by Gus Bradley because he doesn't have the ideal frame, and Gus Bradley has no ties to him because he wasn't a part of the Colts when they drafted him. And I feel that same way if I were a tight end right now in that room. They've drafted a lot of tight ends, but Shane Steichen was not a part of those drafts. Well, then all of a sudden, round five shows up on Saturday, they draft a tight end. Will Mallory out of Miami. you got to think those guys have a leg up on some others in these position battles, I do find it very interesting that when you look at corner and you look at offensive line, and I guess offensive line more than any, it looks like they're just going to run it back with the same five they ended last year. I don't think that that's a terrible idea, though. I, when they were... So that means that the Colts shouldn't complain when their offensive line is bad? Like, no, you know, I, that's... I get that. I do think this, though. How much of the offensive line, Kevin, do you give them... They have to. They would analyze this and know this better than I. But I'm under the assumption that the Colts coaching staff and that Chris Ballard watched tape of last year and determined that X number of plays that looked like they were the fault of the offensive line were actually the fault of a completely immobile quarterback that was holding onto the ball too long, making bad decisions, etc. Yeah, it didn't help the cause, but I, I think that's giving the offensive line way too much credit and kind of letting them off the hook. That that's fair. I think these veterans. But I think that they may be doing that. I think these veterans have just slowly started to turn the corner the other way, and I think it's a dangerous game to play because, you know, I I understand playing the youth and a little bit of that thought, but at offensive line, Jake, don't you want that group to be as solid as possible for whenever you give the keys to Anthony Richardson? Here, here's where. That's where I'd work. Cornerback, I can kind of understand. That doesn't have direct implications on Anthony Richardson. Corners are on an island. They're doing their own thing, blah, blah, blah. Offensive line, if you're not stout there, that could impact Anthony okay. Richardson big time. Hell, it could impact him health Here's what's going to be tough for the Colts. Anthony Richardson is how old, Kevin? I think he turns 21 here in a couple weeks. Correct. He, I don't believe he can legally have a beer at the 500. You would say... don't think legal beers has ever been an issue at the, the 500. <laughs> you would say that that it will be what year in the NFL when you really get a firm idea of his footing. Let's say that he is the player that they anticipate. 
he will be how far into his career when he's starting to enter into where the learning curve is behind him? Yeah, you would hope. I, I think an advantage of playing him this year, you would hope the end of 24, certainly 25. Okay, so we'll say that's when the learning curve ends. But in terms of when he's hitting his zenith, four years? Sure. Okay. How, how long has Quentin Nelson been in the league? What do we say? This is year seven for him? Six? Okay. Bless you. Ryan Kelly's been in the league how long? Oh, gosh. He's got to be one of your older Colts. I think he turns 30, so whatever that is, nine years. Okay. Uh, Braden Smith's been in the league how long? Same as Nelson. Six. Bernard Ryman coming off his rookie year. Um, Who am I missing here? Uh, Will, Will Fry okay, Will Fry's right yard. He's been in the league how long? He's, he's year three, I believe, for him. Okay. So as it stands right now with that offensive line that Anthony Richardson would be building around, when he's entering his prime, he's playing behind guys that have been in the league for 10 years, 5 years, 13 years, 10 years, and 7 years. Meaning, you're about to reshuffle that deck entirely. And now you're starting all over again in terms of getting the familiarity and the continuity of the guys in front of you that's not atypical. I mean, I'm not sitting here saying that, that they have messed that up. That's that's, But that's part of the inner workings of the building of a roster that make it a challenge. I, I think... Yeah, it's not like when Manning... Manning's 98 line did not have Ryan Deem and Jeff Saturday and, you know, obviously Tarek was, was I, here, but didn't have a lot of the mainstays. Kevin, I always go back to... People forget this, and I understand why they forget it. I totally understand why they forget it. But people forget that when Peyton Manning was drafted by the Indianapolis Colts, they already had a running back in Marshall Falk who still had not one but two MVP seasons in front of him. And they traded him. And the reason, So, in other words, Marshall Falk was not – the tires had plenty of tread left on him. He went to the St. Louis Rams and became the most dynamic, not became, continued to be the most dynamic player in the NFL, quite frankly. And it was like, why in the world would they have traded Marshall Falk? Well, it's because Bill Pullian looked at it and said, I've got a franchise quarterback here. I want to make sure that, and they already had Marvin Harrison on the roster. They had Torrance Small on the roster. What did they do? They went out and they drafted EJ Green and Jerome Payton and then a year or two later, Reggie Wayne. Because Bill Pullian looked at it and said, I want to make sure that when this guy is hitting his zenith and entering his prime, that all of the important pieces around him are on the same timeline. That was the most brilliant thing Bill Pullian did. And with Anthony Richardson, sure, you've got it with Alec Pierce. You've got it now, hopefully, with Downs out of North Carolina. And Jonathan Taylor is still a young player, although for a running back, that's a little bit different. But the important thing with Richardson now, if you are starting with a young franchise quarterback, is to make sure that as many of the critical pieces around him are all on the same timeline. And that's going to be the challenge for the Colts. I'm not saying that they've failed at it or that they haven't thought that through, but that's one of the... I, I, I would anticipate that, like, for example, the next draft probably is pretty offensive line heavy because they're going to want to make sure that those pieces are already naturally having the replacement in place so that Richardson has continuity in front of him when he is at his peak. You know, some will probably think it's me beating a dead horse, but I do think it is something you have to think about. And I get you aren't in a position to necessarily do it this offseason, but I think you have to keep this in mind next year. And hell, this is why 
going three and fourteen and drafting Marvin Harrison Jr. might be the best thing for this cold season coming up. Now, speaking of dead, oh, go ahead and then I'll, I'll tell you what you're going to. When you look at the two most frequent comparisons you hear for Anthony Richardson, and the Shane second background plays into this, but it's Jalen Hurts and it's Josh Allen. Those seem to be kind of the the two most popular ones. When those two guys took off as quarterbacks, to me, it's n- no coincidence at all that it happened when Buffalo made a trade for Stephon Diggs and Philadelphia made a trade for A.J. Brown. Right. Like, they took their skill group to the, to another level when they made those moves, and both of those guys have been absolutely huge in the further development of Josh Allen and then obviously the MVP-type season that Jalen Hurts just had. So, again, the Colts aren't in a position to do something like that right here, right now, but over the next couple of off-seasons – that sort of move to get that dominant, unquestioned number one wideout has got to happen. Uh, speaking of dead horses, uh, reincarnate is a fifty to one underdog, but his name is reincarnate. So does that mean that he's already been a dead horse? Well, speaking of dead horses, and Churchill Downs had like four of them this week. Yeah, okay, that's good. Well, I'm I, saying no. Really? There's, I, know, I saw that. Um, what they, was the what was the issue there? It wasn't obviously it wasn't, and I'm not trying to be funny I don't it, wasn't, know. I, it I, wasn't heat obviously right i haven't dug too deep in it i saw uh what what's verifying's odds jake um elon Musk took that away didn't he <laughs> verifying's odds are relied upon whether or not he's going to pay eight bucks to get his name verifying is at 15 to 1 i saw he got loose this morning oh really yeah and had to be corralled by a couple of i guess I don't know if jockeys is the right term, but other jockeys on respective. You know, horses. sometimes an that, excitable that would seem horse. Like, can you imagine being like, okay, hop on this horse. That horse is loose. You need to go get that horse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I feel like at times running after Rosie's difficult. Can you imagine a horse? Can you imagine if one of those horses just got loose and was got out of Churchill Downs and was like running? I mean, a million dollar thoroughbred on the loose, running around in the area. Yeah, just heading over to Papa John Stadium. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's called Papa John Stadium anymore after that. I think it is. Uh, all right, Scott Agnes coming up in a half hour. Zach Kiefer at 9 o'clock. And then we'll get more to Josh Downs to close out the show. The third-round pick out of North Carolina. Reggie Wayne is a huge fan of Josh Downs. Uh, North Carolina's play-by-play voice going to join us uh, around 940. Again, a really nice start to this Thursday here in Indy. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, and Mark Dykton. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jake's favorite day of the year. Uh, a couple of things here. It's five minutes after eight, by the way. Good morning to you. Uh, Scott Agnes going to join us about 25 minutes from now. Today is May the 4th, obviously. I'm a little surprised. Uh, two things here. Number one, the May the 4th becoming Star Wars Day, I I get it. I mean, it makes perfect sense and it's kind of fun, but it seems like it was only like in the last 10 years that anybody figured that out. Like, I remember when Star Wars came out and certainly May the Force Be With You became, you know, a patented phrase. But then it literally, like, the entire country collectively in, like, 2010 was like, you know what? May the 4th sounds like May the Force. Am I right? Like, I don't remember in 1980 people being like, May the 4th, Star Wars Day. I think we've reached this, like, part of 
whatever society where now every day has to be something. Yeah, um, uh, undoubtedly. And the National dates, Bus Drivers Day or something yeah, like that. The dates, the 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 dates speak for itself. I am a big fan though of this week though. Uh, did you? See, it is Teacher Appreciation Week, so I know Jake is not too fond of one of his professors right now, but I think we all can get behind Teacher Appreciation. Week. I can appreciate. Well, professors are a strong word. Um, graduate student. Wow. That's probably a better way of saying it. I Boy, look there it goes our Kokomo listenership. Um, do you know one thing I will say? I, I shouldn't say this. Nope. I'll go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you're already no, halfway there at this point. I don't believe during the time that I was in school that I had more than probably in totality two professors. I think it was all like teaching instructors and graduate assistants. What what qualifies you to be labeled a professor? It is your full-time profession and you are like a tenured staff employee of the university as opposed to somebody working on a master's and doing it, you know what I mean, Got or it. an adjunct or whatever else. Like I had one guy that like had a pipe and wore a hat and was like, oh. yeah, that's a, you know. Well, that to me screams professor. <laughs> that's what I say. Mean. No more. He should be in Oxford. <laughs> um, but at any rate, Star Wars uh, today, May the fourth, Star Wars Day. I saw Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi in the theater as a kid when they were all in their original run, and I have never seen any of the others since. My Star Wars knowledge uh, probably has more to do with the Jim Mercer quote than any movie. Star Wars numbers. Mark, are you a Star Wars guy? I've seen, I mean, I've, seen I've seen quite a few of the movies. I would not. I, I usually watch them once. And All I know is this: if you really want to, now the diehards are into it. Oh, yeah, they're like me with Notre Dame basketball. I know this: if you you tell the diehards that you like Jar Jar Banks and you will be cut out of the will, right? And then Boba Fett, like I thought Boba Fett was cool, and and then apparently that's the sign that you're a poser if you think Boba Fett's cool because they think he's cool, but like only the like people that are like, yeah, Star Wars, I like it. Boba Fett, that's like the people that are like, Radiohead's great. I love Creep, you know. Um, and then the, the that is the only good Radiohead song. The, now there's are there Ewoks? Yeah. And then there's the Jawas, right? Are they different? Chewbacca, yeah. Well, Chewbacca, I know. I think Jabberwocky. No, what's what's the one? Those are the guys that dance with Shaq at the All Star mm -hmm. game. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, we we need to try and get Shaq on, Mark. I, I, I know. I, I meant to text you that. Wow. You think we can do that, Jake? You got any insight? Um. First off, doesn't he go as like Diesel okay. as the DJ? Well, yeah. Diesel, yeah. We'll call him whatever he wants to be called. He, for those unfamiliar, he will be part of the DJ crew inside of turn, was it, turn three? Jake, I would, you're going to have a great view at him. I will uh, have a great up, view of him. Uh, here in a few Sundays. The, the, the thing is, the entire purpose of having Shaq there, aside from the fact that I think that he is apparently a pretty popular DJ, to be honest, but the reason that you have people like that at the Indy 500 is for the cross promotion and utilizing that person as a gateway to introduce to different people. So I, I would hope that part of his agreement of coming or part of his compensation is that he does interviews to well, promote that, that he's going to be there. And, and this might be taking it a little bit too far, Jake, but wouldn't that be great if at some point, um, 
the TNT crew is talking about oh, what Shaq I think is that's, doing this I think coming that's absolutely during one of those playoff, you know, pregame shows or postgame shows or halftime. I mean, when you think of recent years, you've had obviously big time movie, big time singer, but in reaching a younger generation, reaching a different demographic, tapping into a game that is extremely global, one of the most popular shows on TV. Boy, Shaq's got to be at the top of the list. I was walking. And he's going to be there for multiple hours. Several years ago, and again, I want people to understand I'm talking about several years ago because it's a different answer now. But I'm going to guesstimate this would have been like in 2014, somewhere in there. I was at a race and two people were having a conversation and I should also emphasize these were not people that work for the Speedway. So I want to be very clear in that, but work around racing and I'm walking and they, they stopped me and they go, Hey Jake, like we got a perfect question for you. I go, okay. And they said, if you were in charge of getting the waiver of the green flag at the Indy 500, who would you get? And I said, well, are you giving me a budget? I said, what do you mean? And I said, are you going to give me a budget? And they said, okay, fine. 500 grand. I said, okay. I would, and this was again, I, I'm trying to remember what year it was, but it was 10 years ago, easily, if not more. And I said, I would. 500 grand to wave a flag. Well, here's what I said. I said, <laughs> I, would, I would reach out to the agent of this person, and I would say, we are going to send a private plane that is going to pick you up on Friday. You're going to come to Carb Day. You're going to watch Carb Day. On Saturday, you're going to be the Grand Marshal of the 500 Festival Parade. And then on Sunday, you're going to wave the green flag to start the Indianapolis 500. And you have to send a tweet from each of those three things. One of them, part of the contractual obligation, you need to send a tweet from each of those three. And you have to use the word like cool, exciting, yeah. mm-hmm. or whatever in that. And we will pay you $500,000 for your three days. So we will have a plain Justin Bieber to come pick you up. And when I said that, and this it might have been even like 2010, these two people just laughed me out of the room. And I said, what's so funny? And they're like, you wouldn't have Parnelli or like A.J. Foyt do it? You'd have Justin Bieber? Are you trying to get like a bunch of 12-year-old girls to the Indy 500? And I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Because every 12-year-old girl that comes to the Indy 500 is going to have a father that is convinced that their daughter needs to be the cool one at school that says she went and saw Justin Bieber. And their father is going to be a 35-year-old guy who's never been to the Indy 500. He just bought two tickets, and now he's coming to the race. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I mean, those are the type of people that you do have to try and get. Again, try. Probably the big emphasis. Look at the Kentucky Derby. This Saturday, 90% of the Kentucky, not 90, that's I'm way overestimating, a, a large percentage of the coverage of the pre-race Kentucky Derby stuff is going to be showing what celebrities are there. Yeah. Look at the hat on this person. Look right. at the hat on that person. Yeah, all of that. Uh, Tim says Shaq may be as big of a pole as Bob Costas. I, boy, you could maybe make the argument bigger. Well, he's seven foot. At least the one so thing I've always heard about Scott Shaq. Pollard on as well when we have Shaq. <laughs> the uh, the one thing I've always heard about Shaq from from everybody I know that has been around him. I have a friend that worked for the Lakers and was working in media relations for the Lakers when Shaq was there. I have another friend that went to college um, in Louisiana when Shaq was at LSU. I've never heard anything other than Shaq is absolutely the apparently most generous, fun loving guy ever. That's awesome. He certainly seems like uh, yeah. it. Yeah. 
He certainly seems like it. His uh, his Twitter like profile, very quotatious. I perform random acts of shackness. <laughs> I, I mean, that's what's cool about him, right? That would be awesome if we could try and pull that. So, Mark, good luck. Yeah, I, I'll do what I can. On that end, um, I did see yesterday one more Indy 500 note, Jake. Um, I'm not too familiar with this driver, but he is, he's is—he's got a paint scheme on his car coming up for the 500 that is going to have quite a country around him. Uh, Augustine Campino, am I saying that correctly? Augustine Canapino, yep. He is a rookie for Hunkos Hollander Racing, which is owned by Ricardo Hunkos, which is a great story that's been pretty well documented by now. Ricardo Hunkos is an Argentinian who basically had the dream to come and be involved in the Indy 500 and arrived in the United States as an immigrant, you know, X number of years ago with like $500 to his name and started as a mechanic and worked his way up and worked his way up and got investors and then decided to get his own team. Kyle Kaiser was driving for him when they bumped Fernando Alonso out of the 500. And then he signed Caleb Eilat and had good success, got more sponsors on board. So this year, they went back to Argentina, which is Ricardo Junco's home country, to sign Augustin Canapino, who is a rookie and a talented one. Um, he was on my flight back, as a matter of fact, and I do know this. Uh, his girlfriend, he and his girlfriend both had pets on the plane, which I'm cool with. That's cool. Um, although I think the dog, it said service dog, so maybe that's the case. Talented guy. And has had a good rookie year so far, but he is going to be sponsored by, it's a celebration, is it not, of the World Cup title, right? Correct. Basically, picture the Argentinian flag and just drape that on his car. I mean, it's a really cool looking car. And again, when you're talking about, okay, bringing some eyes into the race, I would assume, just given the World Cup, given the national pride, you're going to have a whole lot of people in Argentina Focused on that, yeah, and just he's, purely off the look of his car. I so, mean, it's, it, it, it's a really cool looking car. Do you remember, Kevin, about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, when you were saying you were asking about a, a statement IndyCar released in regards oh, to yeah, threats yeah. on social media? Mm-hmm. That was that, his fan base. Well, that came from Caleb Eilat is a second year driver for Hunkos Holiger Racing, and he's British. Last year, he was a one car team, nice guy, and very talented. And then they bring in Augustin Canapino, who sometimes in racing, you know, drivers feel like their teammates getting favoritism or whatever else. I don't know the dynamic of that. I do know this. Teammates in Europe, where Caleb Milot came from, and racing in European racing circuits, your teammate is your number one competitor because it's like, hey, we have the same equipment. I need to show that I'm better than that guy. So there's like a lot of look out for yourself and and not play as a team. So Caleb Malad, I think, when he had a teammate this year all of a sudden and one that is of the same country as the owner and everything else, felt slighted by it. And so there was a little bit of a divide between those two. But then in the Long Beach race, Caleb Milot was coming off of pit road and Augustin Canapino was the race leader coming off of a caution when the green flag flew and Canapino's fans felt like Eilat trying to get his car up to speed and blending out in front of the pack was not up to speed enough, and it checked up Canapino, which allowed Newgarden to make the pass to take the lead. So those things that we talked about were from the fan base of Augustin Canapino. So he is massively popular in Argentina. He's a huge star in Argentina. So, yeah, that, that, that will get – I would imagine that the 500 probably will have pretty decent television numbers yeah. in Buenos Aires, that's, to be honest. That's what I was thinking. Um, and, again – 
the look of his car is immediately going to catch your eye. Um, do you guys see Offensive Rookie of the Year odds? Where do you think Anthony Richardson, Richardson falls in the Offensive Rookie of the Year odds for the NFL? Third. No, you know what? Yeah, I'll say third. I mean, running back, you would think is going to be a tough position. There's not a, there was not a can't miss, holy cow, top five receiver. So Young is probably going to be considered the favorite, and then Stroud, and then I'll say Richardson. I'll say fifth. Bijan Robinson is the favorite. Is he really? See, I, that at, I get it. I mean, he's a dynamic player. At three to one, Bryce Young right behind him at four to one. And this did surprise me a little bit. It's a slight, slight favorite. Uh, but Anthony Richardson, seven to one, CJ Stroud, eight to one. I'm curious what the thought process is on that. Don't you think it's more of a slam dunk? Supporting cast? CJ Stroud. But isn't don't you think it's more of a slam dunk CJ Stroud plays like seventeen games than Anthony Richardson? Well, yeah. I mean I no, actually no, Kevin. I think both of them are gonna start. I, I think Anthony Richardson, they're gonna it's going to be baptism by fire. Yeah. I, I really do. I think unless he gets hurt, I would or like hasn't, to see that. But it seems like it's almost a like given. Stroud starts. I think, it, I, I think at this point it is with Richardson. I think they basically said it. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not saying that to say like, did you not hear them say that? I'm no, saying no, no. they've insinuated that if you if you look at the history, and unless he, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, right? He could. I mean, wasn't it Wentz that? You know, you get to mini camp or whatever, and there's a calf injury, and you're set back a little bit. I mean, you know, certainly you know with luck, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but I think they're going to throw the sink at him, right? I do think something, because again, I'm a huge fan of playing Anthony Richardson early. The most popular name people point to of, oh yeah, that guy sat and look how his career turned out is Patrick Mahomes. He sat that first year at Kansas City. Right. Alex Smith was the starter. I think he maybe started the final game of that season. And then, boom, took off wins the MVP the second year. But you still got to get the guy out there pretty soon, right? Right. Again, I provide context around that. Patrick Mahomes played over 30 games at Texas Tech. Anthony Richardson's played 13 games at Florida. So it is... You know, more than double the amount of college experience that Patrick Mahomes walked into the NFL with than... Anthony Richardson so I think when you look into examples of oh yeah this guy sat in college and look how his career took off they also probably entered the NFL with a whole lot of college experience I mean again Patrick Mahomes played like 32 games that is a vastly different amount than Anthony Richardson's 13 games so for me that just kind of adds to the reasons why you need to play him early on uh, we'll get more into the Colts conversation in the nine o'clock hour was that Kiefer and then um, Jones Angel? Is that what we're going with, Mark? I think so. Uh, the play-by-play voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels. I feel like that would be a nice job. Oh, Football great. and basketball, voice of the Tar Heels. Uh, obviously a big season for them coming up with Drake May at quarterback. But more Josh Downs for us. And uh, we'll chat about him coming up a little bit later. Scott Agnes in about 10 minutes. For now, though, to the morning check down. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We're about to talk a lot of NBA, so we'll begin with Major League Baseball from last night. Padres over the Reds 7-1. It was the Nationals 2-1. I see you reaching for it, Mark. No, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Nationals 2-1 over the Chicago Cubs. Dodgers 10-6 winners over the Phillies. Elsewhere, it was the Angels over the Cards 6-4. That was the smartest 6-4 loss in the history of baseball. Did you guys see Otani last night? Uh, Shohei Otani? He pitches five innings. So how many outs happen in five innings? 15. 13 strikeouts in five innings. He is the second fastest player in Major League Baseball history to get to 500 strikeouts in a career. Mike Trout, by the way, with a solo home run, his eighth on the year. The two best players in baseball playing for one franchise, and like 40% of the country doesn't know who the other one is. Well, they also win like 40% of their games, which probably doesn't help. You're right. Uh, Orioles, by the way, short and Royals 6-0 over Kansas City. Indianapolis Indians split doubleheader in Toledo. Uh, all right, last night of the hardwood. Speaking of a split, uh, that's what we have right now in the East Series. We saw the Knicks get it done on their home floor. The previous night, last night, the Celtics absolutely blew out the 76ers. Uh, imagine Joe Missoula getting word before the game, hey, yeah, Jason Tatum's going to hit one basket the entire game, and you're going to win by 34 points. Uh, quite the night for the Celtics there. Uh, basically, no one of importance played in this game in the final quarter, quarter and a half. Joel Embiid was on the floor. He played 26 minutes, uh, but again, no need for him to play late. Certainly times where he looked really good. Other times where it was like, oh boy, there's some rust here. So game three of that series will be Friday. Tonight, we're going to get the Lakers and the Warriors in game two. Golden State favored by five and a half. Does this scream get right game for the Warriors and even up that series? I think Golden State could come back from from down to love, but it would be tough because you're going on, you know. But didn't we see that before? Weren't they written off as dead in round one? Um, down I, 2-0 without Draymond in game three, right? Granted, they were shifting to home floor in that series. I think, okay, easiest way to say it. I think Golden State could still win the series if they are down 2-0. Um and I think it's going to be tough for the Lakers if they were to lose, say, two in a row. If they're if the Lakers are to lose one of them in Golden State, that alone it's going to be tough to flip the home court back. I, I do. I, I think, think it's this, a house money game. For the I think Lakers. the game is bigger for the Lakers than it is the Warriors personally. Really? And I know it sounds weird. I thought they already got one. They did, but I just think you've got to stockpile as many as possible because Golden State, I just think, is dangerous. Certainly, so and, they can they can flip a switch and and boom. You know what I mean? Yeah, you obviously want to take advantage of any game, but I I think they have done what they needed to do and. You know, for what it's worth, the Warriors have struggled away from home this season. But you know, Game Seven against the Kings, they certainly looked a bit different on that end. Again, Colts rookie minicamp coming up this weekend. Um, the rookie class, so that'll be the draft picks, the dozen of them, the undrafted free agents, and then some tryout guys. I know there are a couple local players they'll be trying out um, here this weekend. That will take place Friday and Saturday. Then starting next week, you'll get veterans and rookies back together. And really, mid-May to late May, through the first couple weeks of June, that's when you'll get on the field, 11-on-11 sessions. So Anthony Richardson, the amount of reps he gets during the spring period will certainly be something to keep an eye on. And Jake, we mentioned it earlier in the show. I I would think it is good news on the Zach Eady front. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but... Purdue and Alabama are going to play a basketball game next year in Toronto. And as we talked about, it is apparently partially fueled by the fact that due to the way the visa regulations are, Edie can get NIL money so long as he is performing on Canadian soil. So you take all that NIL money, you play a game in Canada, here you go, here it is, you've covered that base, 
and apparently that's what is motivating this. Alabama also has a player from Canada, so that would make sense. Ironically, both Edie and the Alabama guy are both in the draft right now, so you know obviously that's got to play out. Uh, lottery coming up in a week and a half, the combine a little bit after that, and the deadline to withdraw from the draft the end of end of the month. Uh, whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. To talk more about all of that, Scott Agnes is going to join us next here on Kevin and Corey. All right, we haven't talked to Pacers in a bit. Coming up in about a week and a half. Uh, NBA lottery time. Scott Agnes Fieldhouse Files joins us now to talk more about that. Scott, have we got an announcement yet on who will be representing the Pacers at the lottery? For for me, the obvious name would be Tyrese Halliburton. No, nothing just yet. Usually, that's kind of decided, settled on in the next in the in the ten days preceding that. So, I would assume that's kind of what the front office would be discussing and deciding on, maybe in conjunction with the organization. And then there there would be two representatives, too, by the way. One that's back in the draft lottery room that's closed off. I was actually in it last year. And then the other one that's more just the face that's on stage when all the results are announced on the broadcast. But nothing just yet. So last year was Kelly Kroskoff, and the year before was it Nancy Leonard? Do I have that right? Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was Nancy during the pandemic. Yep. And, uh, and then last year, and then it was Kelly on stage and Chad Buchanan, um, in the, in the drawing room. So what's it like being in the drawing room? Yeah. So it's fantastic. There's only eight media members that were allowed in there. They take all your phones, your watch, all of that. And you're sequestered in this room for about two hours or so. Um, and you're able to see firsthand, literally the drawing everything you would see online or on tv it's already done by then however we're watching that like everyone else back in the drawing room but we already know the results which is funny uh once it comes you know on the tv broadcast but you just see how organized how by the book they have this representative i believe from ernst and young that's handling the accounting part and the the security part there's nba security no one can go in or out and uh it's just a formal process, and they're trying to demonstrate it, all of it, so trying to uh, keep out all the conspiracy theorists and all of that. And then those that aren't in there, you can watch it like on NBA.com after the fact. So this is different than when the New York Knicks bent the envelope and froze it so they got Patrick Ewing and the Pacers got Wayman Tisdale, right? There you go, yes. Okay. yeah. Uh, by the way, I'm looking at it right now. Now We're, we're going to do one more uh, sim lottery here since Scott Agnes is with us. This is on Let's the NBA it. Tankathon website. I'm doing the mock draft simulated lottery. I'm spinning the, the ping pong balls right now. And with the eighth pick in the mm. 2023 NBA Mock Draft Tankathon. You don't have the touch today. The Indiana Pacers select... Cam Whitmore from Villanova University. The the reason I do that, Scott, is because it does feel to me like this particular draft, there are probably three players. And in the case of the Pacers, it might be two players, Victor Webb and Yama and Brandon Miller, that they would hone in on and say, that is absolutely the guy that we need. And then outside of that... I don't know that it's a huge difference whether they're drafting like four through ten because I think the players in the eyes of the Pacers at that point are fairly interchangeable in terms of their probability of being 
stars for them. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I would seemingly agree, although I would include Scoot Henderson in that top group. But this is where it gets interesting, right? Because they've got plenty of guards, guys that size. But you're also at a point here of you just need best players available, too. And and this front office is emphasized, and I agree with it, is you just take best player available. Don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate it. The other thing, and I don't know the answer to this, but depending on where the Pacers are selecting, uh, we'll see if it's needed, is what's the comfort level with the Pacers and other teams of potentially drafting Brandon Miller given what may or may not happen down in Alabama? Is, is he a guy that... Uh, the Pacers would be comfortable with, the fan base would be comfortable with supporting, for example. So I don't think that's a a no-brainer. But Victor at number one, uh, that's the easiest call probably since Zion. And Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files. Scott, you you look at the free agent list for the Pacers. Nobody really jumps off the page of like, oh boy, these negotiations are going to be wild. I mean, O'Shea Brissett's been a nice player. Um, You know, a couple veterans, but I think Kevin Pritchard has even said, yeah, those decisions probably won't be needed until we get a little bit deeper into the month of July. So I, I guess what I'll ask you is, what is the biggest personnel question the Pacers have in house this off season? Uh, we saw the Turner extension, so that checked probably the biggest box you know, earlier in the year. What would you classify as the biggest kind of in-house decision that needs to be made? In-house decision, I think you need more clarity in the backcourt. Um, you could say the front court as well, but I think the backcourt might be a little bit more pressing, both because you want to open up minutes and and decide on some lineups. If you said external, it'd certainly be finding that that three and D type guy that can match up and sl- hopefully slow down so in- uh, some of those best players in the world on the, the wing. Yes. But uh, the backcourt, what I'm getting at is your buddy. He okay. yeah. so Scott, here's how we're going to do this. There are five free agents for the Pacers. This is for people that are driving kids to school right now or have kids in college, whatever. This is basically finals week. We're coming down to the end of the semesters. <laughs> so we're going to give grades here. Okay. I'm going to name the player, and I want you to grade for me the chance the Pacers try to re-sign them. Somebody like a Tyrese Halliburton would be an A+. Obviously, he's not a free agent, but you get where I'm going, okay? So A to F. F would be somebody that's like, there's no way that player is going to be re-signed. There are five. First grade, Gabe York. Uh, From a Pacer standpoint, I'll say an F. Okay. James Johnson. Uh... C minus. George Hill. C. Starting to read off Jake's transcript from Lawrence. (laughs) Graduation's coming up, right? I had a lot of Gabe Yorks. Yes, sir. All right, Kendall Brown. I'll I'll say a B, but with the caveat of being a two-way deal. Okay, and finally, O'Shea Brissett. C plus. Brissett, to me, is interesting, Scott, because theoretically – He's the only of the four that might have some market value elsewhere, and I think he has some value to the Pacers, but that value might exceed the availability of space they have for him. I think it, it all starts and ends with what the roster looks like when we get to that right. point. Yeah, post-draft. He, he, yeah, post-free agency even. I, I mean, he's a guy that once you shore up your wings, hopefully, maybe uh, if you move off a, a guy in the back court or two or a front court guy then you re- reflect back on your roster because every roster could have a guy like O'Shea because he, you're going to need someone like him especially in the middle of the season injuries happen 
a guy that will do the dirty work or a guy just doesn't have it. So and he can play like two or three different spots, right? I mean, that's kind of what yeah, I like exactly about him. Right. Yeah, he's flexible. He He's not one that's too too big of himself. He's gotten over himself, I think, is what something Pat Riley talks about all the time. And so he's comfortable with what he can do. He's a team guy. He's Tyrese Halliburton's best friend, which I don't overlook. But also, it's not a pressing need, um, and you're not really negotiating, I don't think, with too many teams out there. So he would like to be back. I think they would like him back, but it's one of those that's not on the first two pages of your notes to get to. Yeah, I was talking to him at a charity event in the fall. He said he lo- lives in Westfield, loves it. He's got a young girl, mm-hmm. um, big fan of you know kind of what this is. This home, this new home, is meant to him here after you know probably an uncertain start to his NBA career again Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files Scott you know Kevin Pritchard I think it sounds like I'm like calling out Kevin Pritchard for being like hotty toddy with this but I think he talked a big game at the end of the season about like you know what they attempted at the trade deadline based off taking some big swings and then very open-minded to doing that again how much talk do you put into that and how much action like I'm kind of the thinking the big move this offseason will be whatever the lottery pick is. And maybe you trade up, you know, with some of these five draft picks and you maneuver a little bit there. But um, will that be the big move of the offseason? Or do you think there is a little bit of actions behind Kevin Pritchard's words on potentially a bigger splash involving a current NBA player coming to Indiana? Yeah, I think one of the – I would be surprised, KB, if there's not one relatively significant – trade by them in this offseason just because it makes too much sense they have the cap space they could do uh, a sign and trade for example uh, and they have far too many draft picks in the roster and the, the development of this team is capable of so I think that opens them up to a bevy of opportunities and to your point about uh, what Kevin had to say at the exit interviews and also at the trade deadline what was interesting to me was that he offered it up um because normally you want to keep stuff like that private. So I was trying to read in, okay, the Brian Windhorst, why would they tell us that? What you know, what is going on yeah, there? Yeah, does he want um, the fan without, base to know he was trying? For, I think it's that. It's, hey, we're trying behind the scenes. It's not that simple. And in fairness to that, draft picks, the inflation of dr- the value of draft picks are way up because of last offseason what Rudy Gobert went for when he's really not worth that. I mean, there's no one in the league I don't think that wouldn't take rookie rookie. Walker Kessler over Rudy Gobert just because of his contract and and all of that. But, I mean, you saw guys dealt for five second-round picks, you know, that they were trying to get off of, things like that. So I do believe it was very real that they tried to go after people and they just didn't evaluate the cost. Uh, the, The cost of it was just outweighing what they were comfortable with, which I understand. But I did find it noteworthy that he wanted to make clear to everyone, hey, we did go after him, promise. We, we did go after him. And so I do, going into this offseason, expect at least one trade because they really need it and it makes too much sense. And then and a lot of it will also depend on where this, these draft picks shake up, both their first one and will they get Houston Rockets at 32 because then things really get interesting if they have, what, 20, 25, 29, and 32? Those are three really interesting picks right there with the most interesting probably being 32 because it's a non-guaranteed contract, so you can right away sign the guy to a four-year deal that's a little bit more interesting that's not fully guaranteed, too. Scott, with the patient, let's say hypothetically, Scott Agnes is our guest, by the way, from Fieldhouse Files. You can also read his work on our website. He's on the Payless Sugars hotline. Scott, with the Pacers, if you look at their 
you know, outside of their first pick, and they have those other picks, and we just talked about. I mean, I, I don't know that they sit on all those picks, but will they be in position if they were going to hold on to one of those later picks to just go best player available, or do you think that their roster is such still that there are enough still glaring needs that they have to plug, or have they kind of gotten their base down pat? What I've learned over the years is when you get away from best player available, it's dangerous. And so I, I believe you're you're at best player available there. Um, maybe you get down the road in a, a second-round pick or a late second, then you can try to target something specifically. But I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to still go away from that best player available, though you are targeting certainly, yes. More of a wing, uh, staying away from a point guard and a center. Really, those middle three spots – I think you can make it work from there on out because this position list and how you're trying to play away. But I guess maybe what you put an emphasis on maybe is defense if you're trying to emphasize one thing more than any. And Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files. Scott, a couple questions maybe away from the current Pacers team. Uh, what is Lance Stevenson doing in Puerto Rico? Making money. He hadn't played in a year. And one, this guy will play anywhere, anytime. He'll tell you that. But also, it's a, it's a quick way to get some money. I think the season lasts a month and a half. Um, DeMarcus Cousins is playing in that league, for example. There's, really? There's been several other NBA guys. And he just played uh, DeMarcus, I think it was last weekend, in fact. But more than anything, um, I see this as a way to get for him to get some money. Not that he needs it, but, I mean, what you want him to capitalize it while you can. And also, just trying to play, make a name for himself, maybe get some fresh highlights going into the off season. Um, but money's the number one thing, KP. I did laugh at the fresh highlights aspect to it. The month and a half season, wouldn't we all like to have that that sort of job? Okay, uh, last one from me, Scott, and I apologize if I'm catching you a bit off guard with this, but I thought I saw yesterday, maybe earlier in the week, that the Phoenix Suns have done something in relation to kind of their Bally Sports or their regional sports network and how they're broadcasting games. Are you familiar at all with this story? Yeah, so they just got a new owner midseason, Matt Ishbia, mm-hmm. uh, Michigan State type guy, um, mortgages, stuff like that. That's his business. Yeah, anyway, Dan yeah, Gilbert, right? Yeah, that's his biggest rival. Absolutely, <laughs> I love it. And he even talked about that yesterday. I think it was with Bill Simmons, basically saying, "Yeah, I don't like the guy. I'll shake his hand." But you know, this is a rivalry here. But uh, to your point, simplistic terms, I-, I love what he's doing here. He's saying, "Look." We want to market to our entire fan base, not just those that can that subscribe to a, a, a regional network that have cable. We want to hit more eyeballs, and so they're attempting or planning to get out of their Valley Sports contract. That's their regional network as well, and go over the air. So you can have bunny ears, antennas, um, stream it online. I'm not sure exactly how they're planning to do it, whether it's their official site or launch their own app or within the Phoenix Suns app or whatever. But generally, as they're saying, we're rejecting the regional sports money and going at it by ourselves because we want to hit more fans. And yes, we're probably taking a hit on the front end, is their belief, but on the back end, we'll have more fans. They'll be more engaged. They'll want to come to games. They'll buy our merchandise. That's the bet they're banking on, although... Um, Bally Sports is, I think, suing them now, trying to say, hey, breach of contract, all of that. So I can tell you, one, I'm really interested and encouraged to see something different here. Um, And you better believe all the owners across the league are following this closely, seeing if this is possible or not. Because to this point, Kevin, all we've seen is, I think, Steve Ballmer 
allow for additional broadcasts, secondary broadcasts through the NBA app. If you have a league pass where, you know, maybe it's a players only type broadcast or, or in Spanish or things like that. They have not done something different off the regional networks with their, their original broadcast. So it's, it's something that's very interesting, especially with the NBA here soon negotiating a new national TV contract. And if fans don't know, the regional sports contract for each team is generally their biggest moneymaker um, for their individual revenue. So it's something that they don't take lightly at all. So they, what Phoenix is doing, and I don't think every owner would fall into this boat, they will be turning down that TV contract money mm-hmm. and basically saying, that's a hit, but we can take that hit. Boy, I I just can't see that being a trend with owners, particularly maybe in this market. Uh, maybe I'm speaking out of turn with that, but I don't know. I, I don't feel like every owner would, would fall into the same boat in that line of thinking. Yeah, especially at the very beginning, because imagine the startup cost, the establishment of all of that. One way to look at it, to be clear, is, is marketing expense. So whatever your marketing budget is, maybe you pencil off some of that in this. And one thing I've pushed locally, for example is I don't like how among the four Pacer preseason games, only half are usually available unless you have, you know, yeah, it's always odd to me. Yeah, it makes no sense. You know, maybe if you have DirecTV or occasionally a leak pass might show it, it might not. You just don't know. In this day and age, there's no wet reason why, especially in the preseason, I, I'm showing those on Pacers.com or, or some other route to make sure that those are being aired and fans can follow my team. It's an opportunity to see the new guys or the younger guys. Um, so yeah, the, the uniqueness about this too, is they have Kevin Durant. So you got, you got a superstar that you can sell, um, versus yeah, if you're talking Indiana or Orlando or Charlotte, that's much more difficult to sell. But among the great appeals of the NFL is it's available to anybody with a TV. You don't have to have a cable package. Um, and so I think that's one thing they're trying to experiment with here. I'm telling you, they need to figure it out or make sure they have it secured because, I think another year probably of optimism and then it gets real for Indiana. And by that, I mean, Scott, I really Mm -hmm. do believe it's fascinating. I mentioned it the other day, the Colts and the Pacers both now, their timelines are kind of on the same page, right? I think people understand that these are two franchises that are, maybe the Pacers are a year ahead of it, but that they are probably in year two of a three-year process where they're starting to move their way up in the in the east to become a player, but it's going to be one more year probably realistically. Agree? Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I'd last or Two years ago would have been year one. That's the bottom, you hope, and, and that's what it, I think it will be. And then you had a, a slight increase. You had the 10 wins. You had some optimism. You figured out who one of your stars is. Now moving forward, you get back to the playoffs and you allow for your team to experience that. I think we've seen a lot of teams – you know, the younger ones especially need to experience that for the first time. It was great to listen to Tyrese two nights ago yeah. talk about that and his desperation to just feel those big moments. And, and Ty- again, Tyrese has not been in the playoffs. Buddy Heald has not been in the playoffs. Miles has not been in the playoffs for what, going on four postseasons now? It's very different. Uh, it's, you know, the energy level, the intensity, the, you know, just catching your wind, much different. So, I believe next year is all about getting back to the playoffs, experiencing that, and then yes, I would agree, Jake. Then, then you hope to be a contender. You, you know, a guy like Benedict Matherin's a third-year guy. This year's draft pick is a second-year guy, more confident, and you go from there. But their expectations are certainly back on this franchise. 
Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, the last time the Pacers won a playoff game. Oh, yeah. It's a long while, KB. I think the Colts had just drafted Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson's going into year seven. Like it, it, it's you just got to go back to Paul George in 2014. Yeah, oh series. Yeah, I I I was just gonna say playoff game. Period. Just any game. Oh, okay. In yep. the postseason, but yeah, playoff series. You got to go back even further than than that. Scott, uh, great stuff, man. We'll certainly have you on a little bit more if you don't mind coming up around the lottery and as we get closer to the draft as well. Hope you're enjoying a bit of quiet time. Yeah, absolutely. Less than two weeks, we'll have more clarity on these draft picks, and then we can go from there. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. You bet. Thanks, guys. That is Scott Agnes right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Be interesting, Jake, to see how those regional sports networks, the whole Bally bankruptcy thing, how that evolves. What do you see teams do off of that? Again, I can fully acknowledge not every ownership group is in the same situation the Suns are, but I think it's really, really important to try and get just eyes, eyeballs, on your team. It's a critical moment for this franchise. Uh, we know attendance numbers were not great last season for the Pacers, so uh, continuing to try and get as many eyes as you can on them going to be really, really important. I, I, I mean, the television sports dynamics in general, and this all was kind of spearheaded by ESPN years ago, quite frankly, overpaying for hockey. A a lot happened, Kevin. ESPN started essentially, they they overpaid for hockey, and then the bidding wars began. And what happened was, for those that, that I guess are unfamiliar, the, as soon as like DirecTV became a, 20 years ago, I mean, sure, DirecTV was around or satellite television, you know, the, whichever way you want to deter, you know, call it. But once the internet and streaming and DirecTV and UVerse and those things, once that all became just the accepted norm for the American consumer, it was no longer a luxury. It was like the norm, right? Every house had – once it got to the point where through a variety of means – the average household had 250 channels. Then NBC and CBS and ABC, well, ABC was ESPN, but NBC and CBS and Fox, okay, all three of them said, I'm not going to say there was collusion because there wasn't, but they basically undertook the same strategy, which was, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, there's all this new real estate, there's this new frontier. Everybody, there's this new, it was literally like ranchers moving out west. Holy cow, look at all this untapped land in Montana and well, Wyoming and Colorado. Trail. Used to love the Oregon Trail, game. yes. So these networks said, we have all this real estate where we can now set up our programming. So they started NBC Sports Network, originally known as Versus. They started FS1 and FS2. They started the CBS Sports Network. And if you want to know why, now when you turn on those programs or those networks, you are predominantly seeing either talking heads debating sports or you're seeing auxiliary programming. Poker, Australian Rules Football, Ivy League Basketball. That's because NBC and CBS and Fox 
didn't necessarily open up that real estate with this with the intention of getting NBA and NHL and Major League Baseball, but they wanted ESPN to think that's what they were doing, and they drove the price up to what ESPN was going to overpay for those network for those broadcast rights. So they were doing it to bluff ESPN into overpaying and extending themselves way too far on what they were paying for live programming. Once that happened, Kevin, that then set precedent for all of these teams to go, wait a minute, ESPN paid how much for our programming? Well, then we should, with our regional networks, charge X amount. And and the domino effect began where all of these networks were over extending themselves on what they were willing to pay and the that ultimately comes down to the consumer the consumer is the one that gets hurt by that and that bubble has burst that's quite frankly what it comes down to that bubble has burst where people are like i'm not paying this i can stream it now i i I can see highlights on twitter i'm not paying it and the wave is now pulling back the the tsunami already went into the to the village and now it's retreating and everybody's figuring out what happens when that water comes back out. Owner Jerry Reinsdorf for the White Sox literally just said the other day he was on like a, a panel of like ownership or whatever. And he said before the RSNs happened, he said, we were getting away with murder. They were Every White Sox game cost $700,000 to bar- broadcast. So 145 White Sox game, give or take a year, $700,000 per game was how much they were making. Yeah. They, they were bringing that in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally believe that because everybody freaked out like, oh man, we, we got to overpay for this so that somebody else doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. And then they realized, wait a minute, those people never had the intention. It's just like the, the housing market. Like you hear people now, you know, five years ago when people were like, yeah, my house went up for sale and people are offering like cash 70% over market value. So like I've got to sell. And then other people were driving the prices of those up, even though they had no intention of buying that house to begin with. It's crazy. Uh, Zach Kiefer, Talk Colts. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. A couple traffic updates. Mark just retweeted this from WIBC Traffic. I-69 Martinsville closed in both directions right now because of a crash traffic being diverted down there at ohio street um there's about a mile backup from ohio street in both directions so for those uh either coming up from martinsville bloomington you know further south than that or heading in that direction um watch out for that i also was driving down meridian this morning all of a sudden got to 22nd it was closed so I don't know if that was just an overnight thing that still hadn't been maybe fully cleaned up yet. But, yeah, I had a uh, closed road at Meridian in 20 seconds. How about this? I had to go Tuesday uh, over to the near west side as part of our the Gold Badge series that we're videotaping right now on kind of the history of the founding fathers of the Speedway. And, and I always forget, when you're going west, is it 29th or 30th that goes right around that armory? Like right over the river? Yeah, 29th. I think it's 29th, right? Yeah. The thir- anyway, the bridge is closed. Yeah, right there before like Coffin Golf Course yes. and Riverside. And so like, yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. With the race coming up, they're going to have to get that figured out, right? Right, yeah. Cold Spring and 30th is a huge intersection from a race standpoint. Yes. Um, yeah, certainly. I don't know. Maybe it's stuff you're trying to get done before. 
Oh, we get deeper into the month of May. I mean, they, they better get out some duct tape. Cut <laughs> it a bit close, I'd say. <laughs> I guess, right? Boy, you I imagine mean, this weather next week, Jake, for the Grand Prix? Oh, man. let's, Kevin? Yes. I can imagine this weather now. Let's just, we leave it there, right? Because the Grand Prix is important for walk-ups. I think it there is. are a lot of people that literally wait till next Thursday and like, hey, what's the weather? Oh, yeah. I'll go out there and do that. Yeah, I'm looking at the forecast right now. Let's just hope that being over eight days out, they're way off. Or what if they're super accurate? We always have such a negative negative opinion on, on the weather. I'm saying let's hope they're way off because the forecast right now for the Grand Prix is not good. So well, last year was awful. I can't remember which was last year's. Was that just that rain-filled race? And yeah, that's right. Like I couldn't even see like what was going on. Yeah, massive, just like puddles almost, and water being splashed everywhere. Uh, all right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Zach Kiefer from the Athletic joins us. Morning, Zach. How you guys doing? We're good. How about yourself? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's nice to have the draft in our rearview mirror. Yes, draft of the rearview mirror. Rookie minicamp beginning uh, tomorrow for the Colts. Rookies will be arriving to Indianapolis here later tonight and then uh, out there at practice tomorrow and Saturday. Um, Zach, I'll, I'll start here just overall draft-wise. I think in the Chris Ballard tenure, at least I and I think all of us are kind of used to, he drafts dudes that are athletic, play in the senior bowl, and are team captains. Like That's pretty yeah. normal for him. What I thought was different about this year's draft, and certainly quarterback stands above the rest, Zach, I thought there was more emphasis on the premium positions, like quarterback, corner, wideout, tackle. And those are the first four picks. I think five of the first six fall into that category. He's taken wideouts and corners somewhat early in drafts before. But to check like all those boxes, I don't recall a draft that has this and didn't have like a guard or a safety or a linebacker or a running back early in the draft class. Yeah, it's about time, right? Sure. Like, not all positions are created equal, and certainly not in today's NFL. And I think they knew that, and I think when they when they do this self-scout after the seasons, they, they realize that their highest-paid players are not at the positions that win games in a lot of senses. And I know Shaq Leonard can turn the ball over a lot, but you look at the left guard and the linebacker spot and, and the problems they had at quarterback last year, and the thing that stuck in Jim Mercer's mind that he really probably won't ever get over is what happened at the end of 2021 when you had a running back take over the league in a lot of senses. And what did it get the Colts? Nine and eight and watching the playoffs from home. So, no, that's a really good point about sort of these premium positions and no linebacker at all. You know, no no right guard, no left guard at all. And honestly, I'm fine with that. I don't love the right guard situation right now. I know they're talking up Will Fry's. But the reality is you need to win games with these certain positions. And I thought it was interesting, you know, Chris Ballard always sort of has a, an, a, an objective going into the draft. Like he wants to get better at one particular area on his team. And, and this year it was obviously the secondary. He wanted a lot of young players in the secondary. And we were trying to figure out what their sort of approach is in that area because at the owners' meetings we asked them. And they had just traded Stephon Gilmore. And, and Chris is like, yeah, we like Isaiah Rogers and Dallas Flowers. And I'm like, man, you are playing with fire. Like, no offense to those guys, but, like, if you start those guys on the outside in week one, like, that's going to be a rocky road. And and Juju Brent can come in, and, and I'm not ruling him out starting, but it's going to be fun to watch that secondary grow. But the one thing that's sort of underlying all of this is a complete reset of expectations. This team doesn't need to win this year. 
and I think they're willing to take some growing pains that come with it. Zach, when you look back, I was thinking about this last night. You and I have talked about this before, and that sometimes I think Chris Ballard, you know, after certain moves are made, you then look back and you kind of go, you know, he, he basically told us that was what was going to happen, and we overthought it. I mean, I've been yeah. guilty of that. Uh, when you look back at the pre-draft conversations, interviews, press conferences, the ones that he does do, how would you grade Ballard's tra- – and he he doesn't owe this transparency. I'm not saying it that way, so I'm not holding him to it. I'm just saying I think oftentimes he's a little more transparent than we give him credit. Was this one of them? Yeah, Jake, I thought the same thing. I thought about this, and it hit me right away Thursday night. When they turned in the card for Anthony Richardson very quickly, I thought I was right. So my premonition six days prior after his pre-draft press conference, which is typically a whole lot of nothing, right? But he said one thing in there that was very telling. He said, everyone has us pegged for one guy. I'm not sure that's the case. In fact, I know that's not the case. And my sense was that was Will Levis. A lot of other people assume the same thing. That's what he was talking about. He was talking about Will Levis. And the other thing, Jake, that that popped into my mind was a question I asked him sort of off to the side at the end of our session at the NFL Combine back in early March. He was kind of giving us the runaround and kind of, you know, you know, just give it as GM speak. And I said, okay, like, let's be straight. How do you feel about the fourth pick? And by that I meant you're picking fourth with, you know, you're not going to get your first pick a quarterback unless you trade up. And he said, I feel great about it. We're going to get the best player in the draft. And he kind of gave me that Ballard smirk. And whether this is the best player in the draft or not, we won't know for five years. But I think Anthony Richardson has a shot. And the bottom line is, I thought he was more transparent than a lot of us realized at the time. Um, Shane Steichen said, you know, at one point, you can teach accuracy. You can scheme for accuracy. That's very relevant to the conversation Shane Steichen had with his scouts through this process with regards to Anthony Richardson. So to answer your question, Jake, I really do feel like, for the most part, Ballard tells us what he's thinking. Now, he's not going to give us the details on where they have these guys stacked and all that, but in a general sense, he tells you more than most. Along those lines, and this is a moot point now, I realize, Zach. Zach Kiefer is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I don't know that Kevin and I really talked about this, but to start out round two, you know, Jim Mersey sends a tweet that says, what do you think, Colts fans? Should we draft Will Levis and go with a Montana, Steve Young type approach? I got to thinking about that, and considering Will Levis had gone through the disappointment of round one of not hearing his name called, was there something – was he trying to, to bait other teams into, into moving around, or was he just simply being Jim Mercer and having fun on Twitter? It seemed like an odd tweet to me. What say you? Really weird. Really weird, right? I think it's a little bit of the latter. I think he was having fun. I think he was feeling the rush of getting the guy that they wanted, right? There were some tense moments when they found out a team had traded up to three. What if it was Seattle? What if it was Las Vegas? What if it was Detroit going to get Richardson? When they found out it was Houston – you know, the room kind of exhaled, right? But then secondly, Jake, this is something I've talked with Ursay in the last year, year and a half. He's really of the belief that you can play two quarterbacks consistently. This is not just a strange off-the-wall Ursay thing. I think he thinks it's where the league is going. So essentially, to break it down, you have a, a passing quarterback and a running quarterback. The Montana and, and Young thing doesn't work for me. 
They didn't play at the same time. Right. Young took his job. Yeah, they were passing a torch, basically, right? Yeah, it's, it's Rodgers and Favre to a degree with just a messier end. But it, it's weird. But, you know, they weren't going to pick Levis because Ballard was making the call. But it, it's a weird tweet and a weird time. And I almost felt like it was kind of piling on Levis. He had a rough Thursday night. I would agree. I it, Let me ask you this, Zach, and I'm going to be over-Freudian. I know that's going to shock you, but... Let me give you a theory, and then you tell me how much glue I've been sniffing, okay? Oh. Um, <laughs> Those PEDs are the many. Uh, yeah, that's right. We're going to have to test out for that. What about the fact that Ursay was a late arriver to the Richardson party, and in the back of his mind, what little doubt he might have had left about whether or not it was the right guy, he sent that so that he could subconsciously or subliminally get the reinforcement of the fan base to say, no, 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 you got the guy. You got the guy in Richardson. Let's go AR, like, you know, da-da-da-da-da, to just kind of cement it in his mind of, okay, let's go. I'm good with this. I think we're talking about a fair amount of glue sniffing here. I think okay. we're talking about, like, a <laughs> Billy Madison amount of glue sniffing. <laughs> Um, Rubber cement. I, but but my point I, being, I think that Ursay was the last in the room to transition from Levis to Richardson. Well, there is some credence to that. Because one of the most pivotal conversations during this entire process was, look, and I was told this was a Shane Steichen pick. Like, this was his guy. So that being said, during March and April, how do they get to that conclusion and you got to convince the owner one of the most pivotal conversations in all of this was about an hour-long meeting between Ursay and Steichen where Ursay basically like laid down the hammer and was like okay if you want this guy you need to tell me why he's going to get better as a passer you need to tell me why I'm drafting the guy fourth overall that started 13 college games and we know from talking to Ed Dodds Ballard's number two the assistant general manager he had some of the same reservations this was a very candid conversation with Dodds on Saturday night where he said, look, like his first reaction when he started looking at Richardson was like, what are we doing? This is, this is 13 games worth of tape. So there were real reservations. Now, Steichen wanted them, and, and Ballard came around as well after he started to pour through all the pressures. But I think that's a fair conclusion. I can't say for sure that Jim Mercy was the last to get on board with Anthony Richardson. Um, but I think the tweet Friday night was just him. I think they were on a high. Right, they finally pulled the trigger on a quarterback, and I think they were gloating a little bit, almost to say like we got our guy. Um, but but the court, the two quarterback thing is really strange. And just file that in the back of your guys' minds. We who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of years. Zach Evers with us here from the Athletic. Zach, you know, obviously we'll get a little glimpse of Anthony Richardson on the field this week. Thirteen practices will follow the rest of the spring. Obviously, training camp will have a lot more eyes. I, I would guess the Colts do some joint practices, preseason games, all that. What do the Colts need to see between now and the end of August for him to be the week one starter? Yeah, I was talking with JMV about this yesterday. I'm probably in the minority. I, I'm not seeing him starting week one. Like, everyone needs to chill out. Like, this guy is 20 years old. He turns 21 in a couple weeks. He's only got 13 college starts to his name. And I totally hear the other side of the argument that he needs to play. He needs reps. But, like, KB, you know how camp goes. Like, he's going to have good days and he's going to have bad days. 
And I think what Steichen is looking for is, is to see how he responds to the bad days. Because we have seen tailspins before where a guy has a couple bad plays early and he just never recovers. Like we watched a training camp in 2021 where we didn't see these quarterbacks complete 40% of their passes. Like my eyes are still burning from watching that Jacob Eason training camp. And it might not be a ton different with Richardson. He's going to make some wild plays with his legs. The fans are going to love that. He's probably going to connect on some 50, 60, 70-yard passes. Fans are going to eat that up. But to be good in this league, it's all about that consistency. And it's how you back back, bounce back from, from bad plays. And if this defense is as good as it was for stretches last year, they're going to punish him. Now, not having Gilmore is going to hurt. But I think it's how Richardson responds to the grind, right? He's going to have the splash plays. But for him, the next step is that consistency. And I think you'll know. I think everybody that comes out to Westfield in August, they're going to know if this guy's ready. And when you watch him in the preseason games, when you watch him against the ones in a live joint practice, you'll have a feeling whether this guy's ready or not. And, and more so, if he's not, it, I think it'll be pretty obvious. And, look, I get you want to see him play, and I get the impatience factor, and I get what Jim Irsay wants. But this is not about 2023. This is about 24 and 25. And what if you throw him out there and he's really bad early, and then you got to go to Minshew? Then you've created another problem because then when do you go back to Richardson? Look, this is this is not Andrew Luck in 2012. It's not Peyton in, in 98. Like, this guy's not going to just walk in and be ready. And so I don't think it hurts anyone if he just does a little scout team for four to six games. I know that seems like a lot, but they need to think about the next 10 years. And throwing them out there too early could backfire. I feel like a part of Richardson that we haven't really given enough um... – whatever acknowledgement to is this Zach obviously the accuracy topic is well documented I mean hell we had his quarterbacks coach on earlier this week to chat about that but with only 13 games of experience and playing on a 500 college football team I don't think we know very much about Anthony Richardson in the fourth quarter I don't think we know very much about Anthony Richardson in big time moments you know you can point to positive moments this past season Tennessee game against a quality opponent really good LSU had some you know big plays in that game you could point to a matchup with Will Levis awful uh the Florida State game you know Florida's biggest rival didn't play good in that one either so I I do feel like that is an element to being on the pro playing side of him of we all watch the NFL on a weekly basis. Why do we love it so much? Because oftentimes you get to the final five minutes of a game and it's still undecided. And how a quarterback looks in those moments, a la Carson Wentz, versus how you know other quarterbacks look, that can be the separator. And I think that is a big part to kind of his development that we just didn't get a lot of it at Florida. And that's kind of an unknown on top of the accuracy thing. Yeah, I think the Utah game is another I would throw yeah. in where he made some great plays late. But, no, you're right. And Good point. Look, that's that's a real point. Like, you can't replicate that in practice. You can't do that in the film room. It just comes down to whether he's a dude or not in crunch time. And they're going to know. Like, there's no fake in that. There's no, there's no like, you can't talk to talk. Like, you got to do it when the game's on the line. And these grown men who are making a lot of money and whose lives and careers depend on your performance Look at you, but you made an interesting point. What is the one separator that convinced Chris Bauer that Anthony Richardson was a guy? It was his pocket presence, right? Yes, it was boys. his reaction to pressure. That's what he watched, a lot of that tape. And you just mentioned a guy who didn't react well to that. That was the biggest separator in all of this between Richardson 
and Levis because Levis has more experience, is a little bit more accurate, but his poise in the pocket, and this is this is my words, not the Colts' words. The Colts just lived through that. A very strong-armed quarterback who didn't have poise in the pocket and threw too many interceptions, and that was Carson Wentz. And I just wonder, they would never say it, but I just wonder how much that stuck in the back of their mind. You know another thing, Zach, that I was thinking about with Will Levis when when during the process w- there were things about Will Levis that popped up and I know that we had fun with the the coffee mayonnaise thing or the banana or whatever but the more people you talk to the more it seemed like Will Levis there was like this polarization almost even within uh, like of people that have been around him of some that were like, yeah, he seems completely clueless as to the perception about him. He seems completely clueless as to like the the question about him. And then other people that are like, but his teammates love him, da da da. So like, who cares about all? And those were the exact same things that to me, I was like, that sounds like Carson Wentz. And that like, especially the processing part. Yeah, and they're just there. There has to be a PTSD off of Carson Wentz at the very top within the Colts organization that still lingers, right? Uh, Jake, it's it's in the mind of one man. I mean, to start with, <laughs> it's, it's Jim Irsay. He's not, he's not hid his disdain for his former quarterback. Um, but look, you're right. And, and they bet on the traits, and, and they didn't have sort of that intangible poise that we just talked about. I think you're right, and I don't think it helps them at all to mention that. But the reality is that's really what started this downward fall was the flaws in that 2021 team. And like I mentioned a minute ago, a historic season from Jonathan Taylor, more rushing yards than anyone in franchise history. They didn't even sniff the playoffs, and that, that stuck with them. And you're right, and, and, and I really dug into that during the draft process. I was sort of mystified by this. Like, you would tweet about Anthony Richardson, and you'd get some people being like, I love his talent, but... When you would mention Levis, it was it was right or left. It was black or white. It was like there was no middle ground. Yeah. People hated him. Hated him. And I'm like, he's just a kid coming out of college. He's a good kid. And then some people loved him and thought he was the, the truth. And I went down to Kentucky and got a much better feel from his coaches and his teammates. Like, normal dude, nice kid. I will say this. Like, the combine is not a good media setup for any player. It's a cattle call. It's a bunch of reporters trying to get them to trying to bait them into saying something stupid or viral. It's terrible journalism, and I don't really think we learn a whole lot from it. And that's a big part of the whole process is how do they respond to questions at the Combine. But I was always struck by that. I didn't feel like that Levis was this firebrand that Wentz was. And that was a little bit like Wentz back in the day. It was like you had some believers, and then you had some people who just wanted nothing to do with him. And so I feel like Richardson is a nice change of pace for this team, but no, I think you're onto something, Jake. I don't know that they had that same comparison in the back of their mind, but you know, like in, instinctively, they might not have even recognized it. But there were some similarities, and, I, and I'll leave you with this: Dane Brugler, who does our beast, our, our just enormous draft guide, he wrote at the very end of his Will Levis evaluation. The very last line was, "He has pluses and negatives that are very similar to, to Carson Wentz." And that, that, for me, stopped me right there. That was just like, okay, maybe this isn't the guy. <laughs> Anybody else in the history, you know what I mean? If you're like, reminds me a lot of Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, okay, yeah, we can live with that. The Carson Wentz. If you don't want to be compared to in this city, is probably Jeff George. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Zach, no doubt. 
last one. Appreciate the time. Um, they are just words. It is May, but I, I got the vibe from Kenny Moore yesterday that if I were a Colts fan, I, I that to me sounded more like extremely hungry, ungra- undrafted free agent Kenny Moore trying to get the second deal than how he acted certainly last offseason and how his play came off of last year with the contract issues. You know, the the phrase of you know, how do you react to a contract year? Work, work, work with no entitlement. It, it, again, they are words. It's all he can do in the month of May, but it sounded a whole lot different than last year from him. Goodness. I, I talked to him on January 10th, the day after the season, and I told myself after that conversation, he's out. He's done. Mm-hmm. He's going to get traded. Or, I mean, it, it, was, it was that obvious. And anyone who would have been in my shoes that day would have thought the same thing. I mean, he was like, this didn't click. I wasn't a guy. They didn't put me in a position to succeed. He basically stopped short of saying, I want the heck out of here. And it's completely different now. And he looks genuinely happy, and he looks a little humbled, right? He had some pretty good conversations with Gus Bradley, the D.C., with Chris Ballard. And he seemed very, very happy yesterday. He kept talking about how happy he was. And like you said, the the takeaway was, was that undrafted, you know, like grit that sort of made him in this league is what are you going to do next? I'm going to work, work, work with no entitlement. He knows what's at stake. He knows he's playing for that last big contract, likely of his career. He knows he's by far the most experienced in a very young cornerback room. But the only other thing is like this, this scheme ain't changing. Like this scheme does not emphasize the nickel like Eberflus has did. We got a sense of that early last year, like late July, early August. We talked to Kenny one day, and he kind of hinted that, like, his position in this defense isn't a focal point anymore. And remember, Kenny was such a versatile weapon. He was a Swiss Army knife. He was a guy that would bring up to the line of scrimmage and have him blitz, and he would stop Patrick Mahomes. He was, a, it was just a weapon in the back end with his interceptions, and he was a great open field tackler, probably the best on the team, including 53. But... Like you said, I mean, I just don't know how much different they're going to use him. And, and I'm not saying they can't, but apparently these conversations have eased his frustrations. But it, it doesn't matter. It, it's May. It, all that matters is how he performs in September and October. But I do feel like a hunger in, in Kenny Moore this year to prove that he can be the old Kenny Moore. Yeah, I would agree on that. And obviously actions will speak louder come September. Zach, thanks, man. Have a good one, guys. Zach Kiefer right there on uh, from the Athletic on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, um, Angel, Jones Angel, coming up at 9.45 to talk. Josh Downs, the third-round pick out of North Carolina. That's the play-by-play voice of the Tar Heels on that end. Pop quiz in a few, so 317-239-1070 for that. And Jake, let's get a um, speedy morning check. How about the morning check down? Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. By the way, I do feel compelled to say, I think everybody knows, I do love Jeff George, but I understand the fan base comparison with Jeff George. I get it. All right, here we go. Quick, quick one. You ready? Uh, Last night, Boston Celtics scored 121 points. Written down, that is 1-2-1. That's exactly what now that playoff series is. 1-1 with the 76ers. 121-87, Boston winning over Philly last night. Hoping to make their series 1-1 tonight. The Golden State Warriors, they trailed the Lakers 1-0. That game tonight, 9 o'clock tip out in the Bay Area as Golden State tries to match things up in the West. Speaking of the West in the old NL West, the Reds and Padres would have been rivals of one another. Last night, the Padres 7-1 over Cincinnati. It was the Nationals 
2-1 over the Cubs. The Chicago White Sox have now won three straight. They beat the Twins 6-4, and the Indianapolis Indians split a doubleheader with the Toledo Mudhens. Kevin? Pop quiz next, 317-239-1070. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, Kev, you got a number for us? You know, it's the month of May when you see that question to lead off, right? Yeah, I'm nervous about that. Oh, gosh. Should he have said two of the four? Or are you just nervous overall? I, I mean, I have a feeling which way it's going to go, but we'll see. Were any of the first three close to a fifth? Yes. Yes. For sure. Really? We, we can get more into that once we stop the inside comments here, I That's guess. That's right. Uh, I'm sorry for the vagueness on the pop quiz. Uh, eight, number one through eight. Well, given the question, let's go with number four. Adam. Adam, Adam. what's up? Hey, how are you guys? Adam, Adam well. One of my best friends growing up was named Adam. That's a great name. <laughs> great name, Adam. Where are you from? I am originally from uh, Boswell, Indiana, close to Lafayette. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not, not familiar. I'm familiar with a kicker named Boswell in the NFL, but I'm not familiar with the town. What high school would that be? Benton Central. Benton Central. Okay. Do you know Marty Bacon? I do, though, I do know that name, yes. Marty Bacon is the uh, general manager at Slipper Noodle and one of the greatest human beings ever to live. That's his area. Okay. Um, Adam, what year did you graduate from Benton Central? 99. 1999. So that would make you, I'm, I'm putting together my quick math here, you're what, 42 years old? Yes, that's correct. Okay. I'll be 43 in October. Adam, is this your first time calling the program? It is. Well, it's actually, I've, I've tried a few times and never got the right number. It, sorry. No, you, never, Sean Sean you, mean, you mean you were calling the wrong number? Were you calling the no. time and temperature? <laughs> no, I got the right number. You, you just didn't pick the right oh, number. Gotcha. Thank my gosh. That was um, a sigh right, two, two quick questions for you, Adam, before we begin. The first is, what line of work are you in? Okay, I'm an agronomist. I work for Excuse farmers me? in central Indiana. That okay. sounds like a very Purdue degree. Yeah, that does. Uh, exactly right. Uh, the second is, if you were going to come to the PBR party, Diet Coke's perfectly sufficient. Who do you think would be more fun to sit and have either a Diet Coke or a PBR with? Me, that would be Jake or Kevin. <laughs> Put me on the spot. Yeah, I, I don't know I, why Jake always does this. Um, apologies ego. for you, Adam. Yeah, <laughs> ego, ego mostly. I have no ego. Outside I have of ego. A, and Mark, honestly, the right answer is Mark. Adam, Adam, totally Adam do I, I seem like it? split the time? What's that? Can I split the time? That's fair. Yeah, Adam, there's no splitting well time with Jake. I think he's going to have your ear on the <laughs> Adam, ground by then. Do I seem like an ego guy to you, Adam? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I listen to you guys about every day. No, I don't think so. People, Adam's people, never wanted hence people more tell me all the time they say to me all the time it's amazing you have no ego considering your greatness and I say well yes thank you you, you do you do have the longest questions though I do that's right Adam, well have you ever spent the night in hotel Attica no I have not but I've, I played basketball there several times spent the night there for a golf tournament at Harrison Hills great great golf course by the way great, I'm gonna great okay course. Great course. One of the top in the state. Agreed. Would you like for me, that would be Jake, to lead you off with the question number one, which I'll try to make short, or would you like for Kevin to lead you off? Let's do Jake. All right, here we go, Adam. 
The 107th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race will take place Memorial Day weekend. In the previous 106th, there are four men that have won it four times. Name three of them. So, uh, Ari Leyendijk. Okay. Um... How about Scott just two? Goodyear. What's Scott, that? Scott Goodyear? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, oh, what's the fan favorite? I'm not a big racing fan. Uh, that, that last anecdote probably was redundant. Uh, how about this? <laughs> how about this? One of them goes by famous initials. His first name's Anthony Joseph. How about the guy that climbs the fence? Get your damn act together. One of them, one of them's oh, first name is yeah. Al, and he's got a son that drives oh, also. Al Junior, jeez. Well, Al Unser. Sure. Okay. Should we move on to two? Yeah, let's go on to number two. All right, Adam. Uh, Sacramento Kings GM Monty McNair is your NBA Executive of the Year. Name the only Pacers executive to win the award. A, Larry Bird. B, Donnie Walsh. C, Kevin Pritchard. D, Slick Leonard. Donnie Walsh. This guy's got a lot of hardware to his name. Uh, question number three. This is a long one, unfortunately. The Tampa Bay Rays, 25-6 and six on the season. That's an 808 winning percentage. Name the only team that holds the major league record for best winning percentage. Not the only. Name the team that has the record for best winning percentage in a season in Major League Baseball. The 2020 Dodgers, the 09 Pirates, the 01 Mariners, or the 1906 Chicago Cubs, who at 116-36 and 36 had a record 763 winning percentage. Cubs. Cubs, Number okay. four, Adam. Boy, this hockey question. Some easy names to pronounce here, Scotty. Uh, for the second time in as many nights, somebody scored four goals in an NHL playoff game loss. Can you name the team this guy played for? That who played for? Yeah, this guy scored four goals last night. Who does he play for? Is it uh, Vegas, Carolina, the Islanders, or the Oilers? Oh, jeez. Oilers. All right, last question. Um, five years ago today, Albert Pujols hit a single for his 3,000th career hit. Of the 33 guys that have hit 3,000 hits in Major League Baseball, three hit home runs to reach the milestone. Which of these is not one of them whose name also is the name of a car manufacturer? Wade Boggs, Derek Jeter, Ichiro Suzuki, or Alex Rodriguez? Suzuki. I love Ichiro. Love. I never understood why after like 14 years playing Major League Baseball, he still needed an interpreter. I just found that odd. Gee, well, English language can be challenging. I get it, but like you would think, I don't mean that as a knock on him, I'm just saying, you would think after, I think, I don't think it was a compliment. No, I'm just saying, I would, I think personally that he probably didn't need an interpreter, but didn't like to do interviews, which I, I can totally understand. It's like Edgar Renneria. When Edgar Renneria, when the Cardinals won the division in 2000, and he's doing an interview in Span or in English, and I said, he was on the phone with somebody in English, and I said, I thought you don't speak English, and he looked at me and said, to you guys, I don't. Okay, that's cool. The fear slash embarrassment of the camera can be intimidating to a lot of people, particularly in a second language. Uh, Boy, number one was tough. Uh, No way around that one. Uh, Tough to maybe hear the answers more than the question. Uh, Three of the four drivers who have won the Indianapolis 500 was the question. Name three of them. Did we get any of them? Mm -hmm. Al Unser, 
with some kind prodding, of? eventually Al Unser. Uh, the pesky name to remember, A.J. Foyt, Rick Mears, Elio Castroneves, and Al Unser. Larry yeah, Bird. Thanks for listening, man. Larry Bird, by the way, in 2011-2012, executive of the year. The Cubs, um, Oilers was correct, and Ichiro Suzuki. <laughs> Somebody just texted me. Rough pop quiz, yeah, I'd say. Scott Goodyear probably wasn't the best start on that one. All right, more on Josh Downs, the Colts' third-round pick. Picking you for the beer was worse. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Coming up next. Honestly, I would say of fight songs that are out there, Jake, I've watched North Carolina play numerous games, been on the losing side from a fandom standpoint of many of those games. I'm not too familiar with their fight song, though. I would agree with that. And I've always wondered why they As a Clemson they're... fan, you've probably heard it before. But... Well, yeah. But that would mean that North Carolina just scored, and so therefore I'm upset. But sure. nothing against Carolina. I've also wondered why they have a Ram and they're the Tar Heels. Oh, well, I have a feeling you're going to ask our next guest that question. We <laughs> would I? like to talk Josh Downs. You want to talk mascots. That's right. Uh, Jones Angel, the North Carolina play-by-play voice, joins us now. Before we get to that, boy, edge-of-my-seat mascot question. Uh, Jones, you said uh, the Colts got an absolute steal in Josh Downs. Why is he a steal? First of all, you know that there's actually a live Ram on the sidelines uh, during the game uh, for Carolina against Ramsey. There's the, like the mascot Ram and a live Ram, so we've got double Rams going on. Yeah. What about a what about uh, during the game? What about Ram um, trucks, or is that in violation yeah, yeah, of the uh, F-150 no, love uh, fest? No Ram truck. I think we're a Ford. Uh, we're a Ford kind of place <laughs> yeah, here in Carolina. Good. So uh, there's no Ram say. trucks. There but, goes that in uh, Great to be with you guys. Uh, I'm gonna tell you why. I mean. Here's the thing about Josh Downs, and I even kind of noticed it in the little video that he put out in social media yeah, after he was picked. Like, look, Josh Downs is small, right? Like, He's not the biggest dude out there, but he has used that fact and the fact that I think people look at him and go, ah, he's a little small, probably not that great. He's used that fact to drive him – ever since he started playing. And he is one of those guys that is just absolutely dedicated to being the the best he can be and and to get every ounce of whatever it is that he has, and that's a lot. Um, He's dedicated to getting every ounce out of it. And so whether that's, you know, putting in the extra reps after practice, whether that's doing the little things off the field, whether that's boring stuff like eating right and getting enough sleep, you know, just all of that. Um, J- Josh has always been really dedicated to doing all of those things. And so um, he is going to be as successful as he possibly can be because he's going to will it to happen. And so uh, that, that's why I, I feel that way. I, I thought whoever got him was going to get somebody who's not just a really good football player, and he's got the speed and the shuttle time and all the stuff, all that. But he really wants to be good and dedicates himself to doing it. He is A, a precision route or a precise route runner yeah, who catches so. everything, or B, like a speed behind defenses kind of guy that then can catch the difficult ball or C, both. That's a little bit of both. I mean, if you ask me what is his best attribute, it wouldn't be just pure speed. And I 
and I say that in a way not to make Colts fans worry and think that he's slow or something because that's not the case. But what he does best is he finds ways to get open. He's very precise in how he does it. And he's dangerous when he gets into the open field. You know, he's one of those guys, you know, what the coaches like to say, you know, it's hard to tackle in a phone booth, that kind of stuff. He, he's that guy. Um, he's really good in space, and he's good getting that space before the catch and then getting himself extra yards and his team extra yards after the catch. Um, I, I'd say that would be that would be the attribute I would say is his strongest. And he does. Uh, he's got great hands. Um, Josh can make competitive catches um, in, in traffic. And so just a really complete receiver, in my opinion. Um, now, he is, again, a little bit smaller. So, I mean, I, I do think he will – likely play mostly in the slot. Um, he did play outside some at Carolina. He played mostly on the inside. But then as his career uh, advanced, the Tar Heels moved him around some and did play him outside. And quite honestly, guys, they had to move him around because other teams were double-teaming him so much. So they had to they had to continuously make it difficult for the opposition to know where he was. Or they had to actively look for him uh, before every play. And so um, – just a really quality player that I think is, is going to make an impact. I think just hearing that type of wide out that screams Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, guys that have absolutely killed the Colts over the years. So I think this is the type of skill set that maybe the Colts can finally find some damage with. Again, Jones Angel is with us here, the North Carolina play-by-play voice. Called Josh Downs games each of the last couple of seasons. Downs was terrific, especially the last two years at Carolina. Jones, on Wednesday, or I guess it would have been Friday, on Friday night when we got Josh Downs on a Zoom after the draft, super emotional, super fired up. Chris Ballard walked into the draft room a little bit after that and said it was one of the best draft calls he's ever had in his seven years as general manager just listening to the kid. Um, How would you describe Josh Downs? Well, I think he really loves – I think some of that is that he loves football and that he's been around it his whole life, right? I mean, his dad uh, played – his dad was a terrific running back at at NC State, um, has been a a coach for a long time, is still a coach uh, at East Tennessee State. Um, His uncle is Dre Bly, who is – you know, one of the best players that Carolina's ever had um, as a defensive back. And Dre actually just joined the staff of uh, the Detroit Lions uh, this offseason. He's been on staff at Carolina for a couple of years. Um, so Josh has been around the game for a long time. And I'm guessing, I don't know this because I didn't talk to him, but I'm guessing that some of that emotion was just that this is something that he's wanted and this is something that he's worked for and this is something that he's been around and thought about and trained for and um, he has as I said in that first answer he's kind of poured everything into getting to this point this is what he's wanted and so have to imagine for somebody like that it is a little overwhelming when you finally do hear your name called and you have that moment. I'm sure it was a little bit emotionally overwhelming for him. And so um, I'm really excited for him. I just think he's a first-class guy and a really good football player. Um, And I'm guessing that moment kind of washed over him a little bit on, on Friday night, as it would most people. Jones Angel's our guest. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. He is the voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Jones, I remember in high school, when I did play-by-play for, I mean, high school football. I'm not comparing it to your job. But we had a guy that went on to play in college that 
every time it was third and eight, you knew the ball was going to him. And every time it was third and eight, you knew the ball was going to him, and he got and he moved the chains literally every time. Is that this kind of guy? Yeah. So I think especially not this past season, but the one before that, guys. I, I do think that Josh Downs. So uh, let me back up a little bit. Carolina has been really lucky in the fact that the Tar Heels have had some really top-notch quarterbacks here in the last couple of seasons. You know, they had Sam Howell, who is uh, you know going to be in the mix to, to start for the Commanders next year, and, and or this year, excuse me, and then Drake May. And, and Drake's got a great chance to be you know, number one or number two overall pick uh, in this upcoming draft uh, a year from now. And so they've had two guys uh, that position the last several years who are very, very good. Um, and both of those players, I think, considered Josh Downs their what a security blanket, yeah, their their safety one net, option, yeah. the guy, yeah, whatever you want to say, you know, the guy they looked to when they needed to make a play and they knew it was time, they looked to Josh Downs. Um, I think part of some of Carolina's struggles near the end of the seasons in each of these last two years is the opposition knew that too. And so they really dedicated themselves into slowing Josh Downs down. Um, I think that when he gets to a place like the Colts, where he may not be the number one option all the time, I think that would actually enhance his his level of danger for the opposition because he is such a talented guy. So there's no question. When Carolina needed to make a play in the pass game with those high-level quarterbacks these last couple of years, uh, Josh Downs was the guy they looked to. And what is his drawback? What, what If he is not going to blossom in the NFL, it's going to be why? Mm, that's tough. Yeah, I, I do think you know, the size is just something that is, is – just there i i don't i don't even know what josh was listed at at the combine i'm guessing it was probably 510 511 um he he is a little bit smaller but i think he has always again used that for fuel um but to me guys i mean that is the only that's the only knock that i think you can find on him because again he has worked so hard to make sure everything else is a strength the catching the route running the ability after the catch all of that is there he just naturally is not a really big guy but that's okay we we i think as we've seen from multiple positions in the in the nfl over the last several years if you can play it doesn't matter if you're five eight or six eight you can play and so um i think josh downs can play five nine one seventy one is what he came in yeah that sounds combat. about yeah that's about right yeah and he did some punt returning right jones yeah, he did, and I think that'd be a valuable asset for him at the next level. He, yeah, he was really good in that regard. He, he was really good in that regard. I, I think it goes, he made good decisions in that regard as far as you know, fair catch, non-fair catch, that kind of stuff. But when he got the, the space, that, that is to me um, where he can be so valuable again is when he gets space, and that punt return game is an area where that can happen. I think that is an area. That's a good point. I think he could blossom at the next level. Yeah, and again, with life after Naeem Hines, Colts kind of searching for that punt returner. Jones, great stuff. Jake, did you want to ask him your, your mascot question? Oh, yeah, so so the Ram fella, is that just because it's the if mountains of North If you have to go, Carolina? Jones, I totally understand, by the way. <laughs> no, you know, so the Tar Heels is an interesting uh, nickname, obviously. In North Carolina, is the Tar Heel State. And there's a lot of different uh, old wives' tales as to why that is uh, on there. The one I have always heard the most, goes back to they said that that uh 
soldiers in the Civil War from North Carolina always were, you know, dedicated fighters, and they never retreated like they had tar on their heels. Is always what I gotcha. heard. now. Okay. Uh, that has been one that yeah, that's maybe not as PC now as it was uh, fifty years ago or whatever. Um, but I've always heard that one. Um, but there are a lot of different old wives' tales as to why the Tariels are the Tariels. Um, why the Ram is the mascot? That's a little bit of a, a larger mystery. He's always been there. Ramses is his name, and like I said, there is the uh, the live Ramses that's got his horns painted blue, and there's a family in town that's actually raised I think all the Ramses through the years. I think we're on five or six at this point um, who uh, who will be there on the sidelines for the Tariels. There you go. I love that. We know Absolutely all about that. having to explain the origin of mascots when we're the when one of our schools is the Indiana Hoosiers. Believe me. Yeah, I understand. It or the Boilermakers. Sometimes. Yeah. Jones, great stuff, man. Thanks for hopping on with us. Uh, enjoy, I guess, a bit of a quiet time before things ramp up back up for you. I appreciate it, guys, and uh, looking forward to next season. Always enjoy watching the Colts. It's funny, Jeff Saturday did some radio work with us uh, oh. over the last several years. In fact, he was our color analyst. Uh, for a couple of games this past season um, and then he always did a pregame segment for us and then all of a sudden obviously he was a little bit busier and uh, couldn't do it so uh, always enjoy watching uh, the Colts play and uh, certainly hope you guys uh, have a great season upcoming. Both of us share the Jeff Saturday radio That's right. uh, radio relationship there. Thanks Jones. Alright guys talk to you soon. Jones Angel right there on the Payless Slickers hotline said about Josh Downs several times Jake it's that type of wideout that I think is just tormenting this franchise What's that? Is <laughs> that Rams? Sound like the aggressive Ram that I know. Aggressive. Tar I always heel thought I Tar Heels was because people walking barefoot through the tobacco fields and getting tar mm. on their heels. That's what I always thought it was. Does sound like a lot of wives' tales at yeah. this point. Um, all right, everybody, have a great Thursday. Enjoy such a beautiful day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow to round out the week.